this night, we do what we want. We make our own rules. This is our night. This is our show. On this night, we rise. This is the bleeding edge of science, technology, and ethics. This is... Pollution. Unwilling to submit. We learn all that is learnable. Tonight, power shifts. Tonight, we raise our instruments of anarchy. Peaceful coexistence, encryption, software, secure devices, and our minds. Tonight, we are unbound by law. It's time for Sovereign Tech. And now your host, the golden stallion of the tech world, the rated R radio star, Brian Sovereign. Because there's no we in Sovereign Tech, baby. Of course, there's no I either, but but that's another story. Uh, However, there is a why. And that's what this is all about. The why, the how, the history, the what's causing all this. And I'm here to break it all down for you because the great voider of warranties, the chapper of hides, the chief troublemaker, the man that some call the most interesting anarchist in the world today, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, the golden stallion, ready for another episode of Sovereign Tech. And this is another one. I say it every week and I'm going to say it again because since I say it every week, why stop now? There is so much to cover. There's no way I'm going to get through all the random access. There's no way. I mean, and the stories that people have been sending to me, I mean, it's just, ooh boy. <laughs> I mean, it's a clusterfuck out there with everything that's going on. I mean, you have the Ethereum DDoS. Today. I mean, just, oh man, is it a mess. Everything. Of course, this show isn't just you know, about uh, blockchain matters recently, it's come up quite a bit just because things are really, you know, shaken up uh, in that whole space. And I got to say, I am, I'm so thankful. I want to thank Chris and the guys over at, uh, at the crypto show, Danny, all of them for having me on this week. It was a great honor. They kind of asked me out of, out of nowhere earlier in the week. And they said, it's like, Hey, you know, we can't believe we haven't had you on yet. Would you like to come on to the show? And I said, Absolutely. So go to the crypto show.com. You can find it there. Uh, I put a link in the show notes as well. That'll take you right to the sound. Um, I will probably release it soon uh, on Patreon and maybe put some custom commentary uh, in there. But it was, it was kind of interesting because the, the sound that got released was like, you know, usually they have a break, you know, they have all their really cool, they have awesome interstitials, you know, actually, I think some of their interstitials are better than mine, uh, you know, to where like, there's, there's not like a necessarily a story, but just, you know, the, the intro kind of sounds and sound effects and all that. I, I think they're, they're a real class act when it comes to that. Um, but <laughs> the version that they released just has, you know, has it where none of that can be heard and you're hearing us talk in between the breaks and everything. It's kind of interesting. And I guess maybe it's because, I don't know, there was interesting conversations going on uh, between the breaks, but got a lot of great response from that. And I appreciate that. A lot of Sovereign Tech listeners said they loved hearing it. Got a lot of new listeners to this show that came over from it. So welcome to the thousands and thousands. Welcome 
to the cabal, my friends, <laughs> because we cover it all on this show, baby. And that was the nice thing on the crypto show. Actually, I, I really do recommend you listen to it because those are some smart guys there. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to pat myself on the back or anything, but we had a very broad convert, like, you know, very wide ranging conversation. Um, and in fact, as somebody that listens to the crypto show very often, uh, I felt like it was a much broader spectrum of topics than, yeah, you know, then I'm, then I'm used to hearing on there. So it was great to be a part of it. I'm, I'm always happy to be on that show and be on it again. Um, just an awesome, awesome time. I really enjoyed that. So do check that out, especially if you need some more stallion in your life, which I got to tell you, after all the stuff I've released on Patreon this week already, woo, <laughs> including a lot of it with the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. You know, if you hadn't had enough of me yet, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I mean, pretty much I did a podcast a day this week almost. Oh man, it was, oh, things have taken place. Uh, but anyway, that just a great time. I really, really loved being on that show and getting to talk about such a broad, uh, you know, spectrum, uh, of subjects and, uh, and got to get out some interesting points, including, you know, and we might talk about this a little bit more, you know, the idea that, uh, I think Ethereum is going to fall. It's going to fail. It's, it's on its way out the door. And, uh, they, the, you know, the hosts of the crypto show said that, uh, yeah, there's some other people that have said this. And I think they were implying some very intelligent people were also making that claim. Um, so good. I'm glad I'm not alone in recognizing, you know, <laughs> all this bullshit. Anyway, uh, so let's, uh, let's get, let's start getting into the stories here. There's no way I'm going to get into all this random access. Uh, I want to start off with something though. I do not come with tidings of good news. Did I say that right? Tidings of great joy. I don't come with tidings of great joy. <laughs> good news. Uh, I don't because I'm a little disappointed. It's a trend that I've noticed recently. Uh, I mean, there's one thing that about this story that I'm going to mention that's interesting. And then there's a trend that, uh, is disappointing, um, to me. And that is uh, BitTorrent, which I consider to be, you know, the, the really serious technology out there. Now, you got to be, you got to understand this, okay? BitTorrent, the technology is different from BitTorrent Inc., the company, okay? <laughs> like, I mean, there, there's, there's subtle differences when you get into BitTorrent Inc. and what they use, uh, but bottom line is there's the technology, then there's the company. Now, something I've been really praising that the company has been doing in the past, well, maybe two years is I felt like they were creating an entire alternative infrastructure uh, to the internet. And I thought that that was really cool. Like, I, I mean, I, you know, they had a uh, project Maelstrom, uh, which I thought was slick, uh, you know, a whole bunch of, they had a, um, what was it? Sync, BitTorrent Sync, right? Which is kind of an alternative to the cloud, which I actually enjoyed to where it's all being stored somewhere, but you could kind of share between the two and they would, they would constantly update uh, between each other, you know, between devices. Uh, all of these different things I thought were great. And BitTorrent itself, of course, is just one of the most exciting technologies ever developed by mankind, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's really, it, it seriously pushed the peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, you know, evolution. Uh, I mean, it's not the first peer-to-peer -peer system by any means, but it definitely brought it to four far more than anything else. And that includes Bitcoin. Not that I'm knocking Bitcoin at all. Um, but lately I've noticed that BitTorrent uh, Inc. Unfortunately has really splintered off and it seems like they're dropping a lot of their projects and it appears that they're trying to get away from the BitTorrent name overall. Like they are like BitTorrent Sync. They've renamed that recently. Um, I forget what exactly they, re they renamed it to, uh, but the company has split. I, there hasn't, I don't think there's been an update to project Maelstrom in forever, which project Maelstrom was. The idea was that you would take 
uh, a DNS. And instead of using a DNS as we know it, like instead of using, you know, the DNS is just the phone system for the internet, right? Uh, you know, instead of using HTTP, you know, and typing that into an address bar, you would use magnet links for the entire, uh, you know, for the entire DNS registry, which I thought was really great. I was like, yeah, this is a genius idea. Yeah. Keep going. You know, easy enough to implement. You don't require a giant blockchain like, say, Namecoin would have had. Uh, you know, just just cool. But that I don't think they've worked on that in forever, and they just seem to be getting away from all that, and they're just trying to become an entertainment company now. Uh, and I'm really, really disappointed by that. Uh, I mean, because my prediction, even up until recently, including when they came out with like their BitTorrent, uh, you know, their little movie or you know BitTorrent Live service, whatever it was. Um, which has, you know, effectively now it looks like it's going to stay more of just a centralized service and it's just going to compete, you know, with the likes of Netflix and some others. Um, you know, even up until recently, I was like, yeah, these guys are doing it. They're going to create an entire alternative Internet that works off of peer to peer principles and uh, just not, you know, principles and technology, obviously. And it's just not happening. It, it just doesn't look like it. So I was really disappointed by that. Uh, something interesting, I thought that they announced this week. Now, of course, BitTorrent, you know, they make the, the official BitTorrent client, but they also make the most popular uh, torrent client, uh, which is uh, uh, uTorrent. Okay. And uTorrent in a new update is coming out with a mode called altruism. Now, this is interesting in, in a few respects. The idea is behind altruism, which I don't think it's set on by default. I think you, as I understand it, you have to go turn it on, which is good. I'm glad that this isn't the default because there's problems. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure they'll figure out some way to address, but at the moment they're not. Um, but uTorrent, uTorrent altruism, this is a setting that you turn on. And when you turn it on, it keeps your upload to download ratio on a more even keel, meaning that, you know, what a lot of people do is they just, they just download and they never, you know, uh, seed, you know, what they download, say they download, I don't know, Star Trek beyond, um, I might be saying that you're able to do that right now. Say you download like, you know, a perfect copy of Star Trek beyond. And when you download it, you suddenly just hit pause or you hit, you know, stop. And then you, you delete the torrent, you know, you great, you move the, say the movie file away and then you delete the torrent and you're done. Um, as to where normally, you know, for, for how the system wants to work is that you, you actually, you, you know, you'll keep uploading the movie and share it with other people. That's the nature of peer to peer. So, but most people don't do that. So if you turn on altruism, what it does is it kind of forces you to share more. The problem is, is that, and here's, I mean, it's a very simple problem. I'm, they gotta know that this is a thing. Like, I, I can't believe there's no way I'm the only person thinking of this, but what could technically happen is that you could, you know, if you were trying to download something, even something quote unquote legit, of course, I'm an anarchist. I don't give a shit about IP or laws, but whatever. If you're downloading something legit, like what could happen is, is that you could be forever downloading it because uTorrent is automatically throttling you uh, to the point that, you know, because you have to upload, you know, there has to be that, 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 that nice ratio two to one or whatever, you know, one to one, whatever it happens. I don't know if you can exactly change the settings itself. You know, like you could choose the ratio of altruism. I, I hate that word, but <laughs> cause it's just not real, <laughs> but whatever, uh, you know, but the bottom line is, is that yes, event, you know, you could get to a point where you are never, ever done downloading something because of this altruism setting. So it's an interesting idea you know, to try and get people to share more, but like anything else, if you're just like forcing it, 
you know, th- there's always going to be some kind of problem, like the one I just described, to where you can never actually download it because, you know, you're constantly uploading. Or, like, maybe what happens is, is there's nobody else kind of fetching it, uh, y- you know, for, for an upload. So, or, you know, there's no other leechers. So, so then the seed kind of goes on forever. I mean, like, th- there's a lot of potential problems with this. But it's an interesting idea. It's out there. Uh, again, I don't recommend using uTorrent at all, so it's really not an issue, uh, uh, you know, for Sovereign Tech listeners. Um, I recommend using Qubit Torrent. Um, I've recommended that, you know, across the board for years and with good reason, since recently there have been hacks, uh, you know, cracks on, say, like OS, uh, Mac OS, where, uh, you know, using transmission, which is generally, I mean, you know, as far as like what it does, it's a very good client, but you know, there, there was some issues where, where with transmission malware was able to, you know, seep into, uh, Mac OS systems recently. Uh, so I think we talked about that on, on a recent Patreon Q and a patreon.com slash sovereign tech. If you want to take advantage of those and hear about that and you can ask your own questions and I'll get into them. Uh, but yeah, so don't use uTorrent, but I, you know the altruism thing is interesting. But what a pity overall about BitTorrent. I I really think that's a shame. Now something uh, let's shift uh, gears a little bit here. Something that I actually got asked about on the crypto show that I didn't have a whole lot of details on to be able to uh, to talk about. Uh, but now I, I I think I've got it pretty much covered. Um, in New Hampshire, which of course is my home geographic area now, um, in New Hampshire, uh, Poloniex, the very popular uh, you know cryptocurrency exchange, has decided to no longer allow uh, New Hampshire accounts access. Uh, you know, to Poloniex and, you know, to do trading and all that of, of various cryptocurrencies. Now, I think that this is really just an extension of something we did actually talk about on Sovereign Tech. I didn't realize they were really the same thing. Um, but what it, what, what it is, is that there, there are pretty harsh restrictions legally in New Hampshire against money transmitters. Okay. So Bitcoin, you know, all these different cryptocurrencies and all that, they're not illegal, but the money transmitters perhaps that handle them have to go through quite a few hoops to like really even exist in New Hampshire. And so Poloniex doesn't want to deal with that. That that's the story. Um, I mean, can you, you can do one-to-one transactions, you know, there's, there's no real uh, issue with that. In fact, I think even businesses can still accept it. Uh, but what it is, and, and if I'm misunderstanding it, I know I have lots of sovereign tech listeners that live in New Hampshire. Feel free, you know, to correct me on the matter. Um, but as I understand it, it's really just money transmitters that is going to be an issue for. And I, I, I don't picture that this is going to be a problem for long. That's just a guess on my part, not a prediction even. It's just a guess. Uh, but there you have it. If you're wondering what, what the hell that was all about, it's not like, because I remember when this, I think when this legislation that this is, that Poloniex is responding to, was uh, was first going through, and this was maybe a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, something like that. Uh, I remember a lot of people wrote up stories that said, you know, cryptocurrencies banned in New Hampshire, and it's like, no, no, no that's not what happened at all. Uh, it's just money transmitters, uh, you know, ha- are running into a kind of a legal gray area, or m- more than a gray area, but. Yeah, so so that that's the deal with that. I don't need to spend much time talking about it because, quite frankly, people are going to do whatever the fuck they want anyway. Um, you know, in fact, I'm going to get into, before I talk about anything else in the random access, I'm going to get into, I'm going to do something special here. This is something I've largely saved for the Patreon Q and a episodes that I, that I mentioned. Um, but I am going to get into a listener email that I got. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I'll, I'll read it here quickly because it's kind of a response to, to this exact issue of what's happening with Poloniex. Um, and, uh, here it is. So I recently research or it says Savsu. 
I recently researched a VPN app called TunnelBear. Any thoughts? Is there something better you could point me toward? Um, I'd love this to be a quote unquote, read my mail on air thing, but I am at the low to mid techie level and you are constantly getting me in way over my head working on that though, with your help, of course, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And in fact, you know, the balance, <laughs> I'm glad that you're learning from doing the show and that you enjoy the show. Uh, the balancing act is on my end though. <laughs> like, like, like I am always balancing between like, am I talking more to a beginner level audience? How far do I go in explaining these things? Am I talking to, you know, a highly technical audience? You know, it's always a balancing act with me and I have a hard time. If I ever pause of thinking of what to say, usually it's what level is my listenership? And I don't know because I keep my listenership pretty anonymous. I only did one poll ever. And all I was asking was, is what operating system do people use? And it turns out most people that listen to the show use windows. That by no means means that, that, that that's, uh, uh, you know, a low or mid tech level, uh, listenership. Okay. I know a lot of people that are the best in the world at cryptography and everything they do. They use windows all the time. For example, Steve Gibson, personal hero of mine, the guy that runs security now who I've modeled half my career after. Okay. Uh, he, you know, he uses windows. All right. So, so that, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, so the balancing act is on my end, but I'm glad people seem to, you know, really get it. Or, you know, maybe they do a little extra research as they go along and, and, you know, and they keep pace. Uh, and it's an honor to have anybody here, regardless of your level in tech. And in fact, a lot of people listen to sovereign tech who don't even care about tech. I guess they just want to hear whatever the hell else I'm talking about. And I'm honored, you know, I mean, that's, thank you. Uh, but, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll read on with, uh, with this. So, and I want to answer the question about the VPN thing, because that's directly uh, related, I think, to the Poloniex situation. Uh, but here there's a PS PS. I believe it was the first time I heard you, but you recommended that Elvis album mind blown. Great fucking album, bro. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and that album that he's referencing, boy, you've been listening for, for a good long while now, uh, because I think that album came out in 2015 and it was, if I can dream. And it was this amazing, uh, well, it was a computer job where they mixed Elvis in with the modern day, uh, Royal Phil Philharmonic, uh, orchestra. And I, I just, it's, it's an amazing album. If you've never heard it, uh, if I can dream and the title song alone is worth the price of admission. Um, but anyway, and thank you for also being an Elvis fan. I appreciate that. <laughs> there, especially my age, you know, I'm 35. I mean, I don't know how old this uh, listener is, uh, but you know, in my age 35, like, I mean, I've been listening to Elvis forever and you know, I used to go like see the impersonators like Joe Androsa and all that. And <laughs> You don't find too many people my age, you know, that are, that are into, that are, you know, still into Elvis and everything. Uh, but I, I you know, I biggie, I mean, he's, he was the man. Um, anyway, PSS, keep up the great work. I can't say we always agree, but in all sincerity, you are some of the best shit on the internet, period. <laughs> Well, doubly honored by that. Thank you. Uh, you know, I get that a lot. I'm going to get to the VPN question, but I want to address this quick. I get this a lot. A lot of people tell me, um, that, well, I don't always agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I hear this constantly, but they still listen <laughs> every single week. Some people even donate to the show where they say that they, they absolutely do not agree with everything I'm saying. Thank you. I don't know how much greater a compliment I can get. I am honored. I am humbled. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that says something. So I, I appreciate that. And, and that really, you know, when you get such a diverse amount of listeners, 
Uh, I think that's awesome. You, you know, uh, for, for any show, I'm not just talking about my show. I, I don't need to boast here, uh, but just thank you very much for that. So let's get to, let's get to the VPN question quick here. Um, tunnel bear. So tunnel bear is not bad. Um, this, this brings up a broader subject about VPNs and then I've got more random access. I'm going to get into, um, and the broader subject is this, that VPNs, I think their utility has waned significantly. Um, the only thing they're really, really good for is getting past, you know, various, uh, uh, you know, region blocks, you know, country blocks and all this stuff, nation blocks, uh, you know, to where like, you know, back in the day, if you want Netflix and you lived in Canada, you were kind of screwed unless you used a VPN, then you can work it out. Or if you wanted to watch something on the BBC, which is totally for free in Britain, if you use a VPN to make it look like you live in Britain, you can watch the BBC all day long, enjoy yourself some doctor who, Woo! Uh, but that's, you know, that aspect of a VPN, as far as like full on, you know, that's really the only thing I, I'd, I'd use a VPN for. Otherwise I think VPNs, you know, if you're like trying to, you know, hide from state actors and all this, uh, I think VPNs have, have kind of fallen away. And especially now with a lot of, a lot of different technologies, uh, browser-based technologies that are using WebRTC and WebRTC, we know, uh, leaks IP addresses, uh, you know, regardless if you have a VPN on or not, uh, I think that as WebRTC gets more and more used by various, you know, what, whatever company or technology, um, or service, whatever, you know, VPNs are, are going to, to start to fall away quite a bit. Um, so, but I mean, that's not to say, I guess I shouldn't say that's not to say don't use it on, you know, but, uh, it, it's such a tough subject. Um, the best VPN out there. Okay. That you can still use in my opinion is private internet access. You can go to private internet Um, they are us based, which is concerning because if you are a us based company, that means you legally become under the purview of the NSA, you know, the U S government effectively, and they can knock on your door and you need to answer it. The nice thing about private internet access is they keep zero logs. Okay. So, you know, they can't, there's nothing for them to hand over. And that's a great business model to have is to not be able to hand over anything whenever, you know, a state actor comes a calling. Uh, so I recommend private internet access. Also, they accept Bitcoin, which is really nice. Um, there's another one, which actually I think might be a part of, of, of tunnel bear where it's, um, tiny hardware firewall, I think is the name of it. And what this is, it's a little VPN device that you buy and you get like a free year of, of the VPN. It's like, it's a hundred bucks, but it's a VPN that goes through Tor. It's not the best VPN in the world, but it's a very interesting one. And I think it's great for security. Uh, and, and you get access to, you know, a VPN service anyway, that you could make use of say on your phone, um, or elsewhere. Uh, so yeah, I think, or no, it's, it, yeah, I think it's tiny hardware firewall, I think, or maybe it's tiny internet firewall. Anyway, uh, th those, those are interesting, but just, I, I would just go with private internet access. Um, that's, they're just, in my opinion, they're the best in the world. Uh, unless you get the other option is if you get a rise up account, this is, uh, you know, definitely a little more on the advanced level. Uh, if you get a rise up.net account, you can do that. Now they offer a free VPN service. However, I do recommend that you do not be an asshole and you donate to riseup.net considering how much they do for activists all around the world. And I mean, anarchist activists, you know, forget about the hyphens after the word anarchist, they do a lot for freedom. Uh, and so, 
Uh, so, you know, going with riseup.net, if you can get a couple people to, you know, uh, not sponsor you, but vouch for you effectively, they have to send you a little code, you know, uh, go for that. Um, and I really, I just want to say right outright, as I've been saying for years on Sovereign Tech, uh, I appreciate everything that riseup.net does. Uh, so, yeah, private Internet access or that route. Um, another one is that, I mean, I'm not sure what you want to do with the VPN. That's that's kind of an important part of the question now, in my opinion, uh, you know, whenever asking what's the best VPN. I mean, if you're just looking to get past maybe some country codes or something, you know, if you use the web browser Opera, Opera has a built in VPN now. I'm not saying I recommend using Opera per se. I'm just saying, depending upon what you want to do, you can't get a much easier setup than that to have it than to have it built right into the browser as soon as you install the browser. You know, no need to go grabbing an extension or anything like that. And Opera's, you know, I mean, I've been using Opera. Yeah, it's closed source. I know. Okay. But just saying, I've been using Opera back in the, as far back as when they used to charge for the software, when they used to charge, you know, to download Opera. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's a fine web browser. Okay. I mean, especially if you're using Google Chrome, there is no good reason that you don't use, you know, that you're not, that you shouldn't be willing to use opera as well. Uh, so that, that's another option to go as far as that. Anyway, I didn't expect, <laughs> I, I just got that email in and I wanted to, I wanted to cover it. And, Oh, actually speaking of, uh, emails coming in, just got somebody just up their donation, um, on, uh, on Patreon. And thank you so much for that. You know who you are. So I'm going to do that from now on. If I, if I get these things as I'm recording, if I get, you know, a message saying somebody, you know, a new donor on Patreon, uh, I'm going to mention it. So thank you very much, but I'll keep you anonymous. Don't worry. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to, onto another story here. Uh, yeah. So this, I'll just, I'll be quick with this one. Um, ad block. This is uh, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, you know, speaking of Opera, Opera has a built-in ad blocker as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of really great security technologies or not great, but, uh, you know, things that people should consider using perhaps, you know, VPNs and depending on what they want to do, VPNs and ad blockers and all this ad blocking, I think is super important to do. Uh, and yes, go ahead and block ads on any website you go to, because it is not, as I always say, it is not your responsibility, uh, to figure out how those ads are going to get to you. That is the responsibility of the website you're going to, of the people that run that, or of the, uh, you know, the companies themselves that are serving the ads. That's their problem, not your problem. The first and foremost thing you need to do as a computer user is secure the fuck out of your computer. And that means running an ad blocker. Okay. In my opinion, that's, that's what that means. So you do that. Leave figuring out how to get around, you know, leave dealing with, you know, sites complaining that they're not making any money because you're blocking their ads. Leave that to them. That's their, that's their problem. That's for them to deal with, not you. Okay. Uh, but one of the solutions that has come out up out of this is that Adblock, uh, the, the company has decided to, uh, you know, I think it's Adblock plus they are going to be selling ads effectively. Like what they are doing is, is that they are going to they're going to charge companies for if you want your ad to show up, okay, you pay us such and so much, which I mean, there was already that white list that was kind of doing that. But what they're going to do is, is that with, with the, you know, the ad block extension, they're actually going to push, uh, you know, where, where the other ad originally was, they're going to push the ad that, you know, the people are paying for. Now you can, if you, I mean, you can get into the ethics of this all you want, um, what the one ad, the one positive aspect of this is that Adblock is going to make sure that these ads are not malicious. That's a good thing. 
All right. And as far as, you know, this, there's some questions as to how I'm going to be keeping an eye on this because there's some questions as to how it all works out. Okay. But you know, will there be like, will it be targeted ads? You know, how are they going to pull that off? And that's an interesting thing because I'm not sure how exactly they would make it into targeted ads, because if it isn't targeted ads, then effectively, you know, solving the ad block problem for a lot of companies is going to go back to the days when, you know, on TV and radio, it was a shot in the dark as to whether or not you reached the audience that you wanted. Now that's okay because that shot in the dark allowed for a lot of fortuitousness. In my opinion, I don't, I don't think targeted ads are a good thing. Um, I've talked about this many times. Targeted ads are like the most dangerous thing to your privacy next to that block of sensors that you keep in your pocket called a smartphone. Um, I mean, a targeted ad is like, I mean, that is such a great thing for, you know, if I was the NSA, I would look at it, you know, I would ask companies, okay, you know, what does this user have for targeted ads? Cause you could tell so much about a user if they did that, if the targeted ads is accurate, there's a whole other conversation around that, that a lot of that stuff, you know, isn't really accurate, but they are trying to constantly enhance targeted ads. So at some point, maybe they will be. So anyway, I mean, just ad block doing this kind of defeats the purpose perhaps for a lot of people of why they even put an ad blocker on. Uh, but I think the primary concern, you know, for ad blocking or the, you know, the primary like case for ad blocking is the fact that a lot of these ads end up being malicious or because they infringe upon your privacy. Now, if they're not going to do targeted ads, that kind of changes things up. So it's an interesting, you know, speaking of gray areas, it's an interesting gray area that I think ad block is finding themselves in, you know, as, as far as this goes. Now, of course, the ad blocker I recommend using is uh, uBlock Origin. Okay, just you know uBlock Origin, and it's available for pretty much every web browser. It's even coming out for Microsoft Edge in the very near future. Uh, so it you know it's all all across the board, and it's on Opera too. If you were using that, okay, uh, even though that already has a, an ad blocker built in, but I'm sure they're kind of well understand. Opera is owned by you know a company in China and you better believe that kind of like ghostry or whatever, they are selling off a lot of the data, you know, that they collect from you, uh, you know, to, to whoever. And that would include like what sites you go to and where they're blocking them and things like this. So something to think about, but anyway, you block origin is the one I recommend. They have as yet not talked about anything of the sort. They are just blocking ads and they're doing the best job in the world at it. Actually, it's one guy that develops that, uh, <laughs> largely. So, uh, kudos, but, um, Anyway, I, I thought that that was, that was interesting that that was happening. Uh, you, you, the ad block conversation, you know, the use of the technology and all that, it is not something to be ignored. Uh, you know, do not, do not go on the internet without a condom folks. And I know some people say the VPN is the condom. Well, so is an ad blocker in a very real sense. Uh, so I recommend, uh, you know, using one at all times, uh, unless, you know, you know exactly that you want it turned off. Otherwise leave that, you know, leave that shit on. So interesting about ad block, uh, depends on how that shapes up, you know, it really as, as to, to how heinous perhaps, uh, the whole thing they're doing, uh, is, I mean, it, it you know, that's a new industry <laughs> I mean, that they really, that, you know, that, that ad block pretty much figured out. Uh, I mean, that's, that's wild. Um, all right, let, let's, let me see here. I want to skip ahead on a couple things. Um, this was something I actually put the link to this in the show notes. Uh, a group has actually developed a, what they call ungoogled chromium. 
And Chromium, of course, is the open source version of the Google Chrome browser, meaning it doesn't have like it doesn't have the pepper flash uh, built in, which is one of the main advantages for a lot of people using Chrome, or at least it has been over the years, is that you didn't have to install Flash and your system was a lot more secure because, you know, Chrome is sandboxed. Uh, so, you know, Flash, because there was a lot of Flash vulnerabilities and exploits, you know, that were just a real problem for, you know, like a decade. <laughs> I mean, they're still out there, just, you know, a lot of sites have ran away from Flash, thankfully. Um, it's interesting that, so, what I find fascinating is that Chromium itself is supposed to be this big open source thing. Now I'm going to bring up a caveat because we've talked about this before on Sovereign Tech years ago. Um, the idea that there needs to be an even more, shall we say, or less featured version of Chromium makes a statement that there are things still inside of the open source project of Chromium, which a lot of other web browsers use, including Opera and, and others, that some people find to be uh, very privacy encroaching or insecure. Now, Google, you know, still largely pushes Chromium. I mean, like, you know, it's still effectively a Google project. Um, and in fact, one thing that we know that happened was that there were updates getting put into Chromium that like, uh, what, what was it? It was the, the sound. So Google Chrome has that feature where it can listen, like it can, you know, it can hear for, you know, it can listen for okay. Google and all this different stuff. Okay. Now that is not an open source technology. Um, and what happened, I think this is about a year and a half ago, maybe what happened was, is that in Chromium, suddenly somebody saw, thanks to thanks to it being open source, that there was code injected that allowed for that microphone to be turned on by default. And people are like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? You know, what's this doing here? This is Chromium. You're not, Google's not supposed to be encroaching on this like this. So I think there's some validity to the idea that there needs to be an ungoogled Chromium. Uh, so I put the link in the show notes for it. It's available for a few different operating systems. Uh, you know, do check that out if that's something that you're, you know, that you're concerned about. Um, I have not tested it personally, so I don't know how well it works with various extensions uh, and apps, which that's why a lot of people use Chrome in the first place is because of all the extensions and apps. Uh, of course, the apps are going away, right? We learned about that for, you know, by, by 2018, they won't be available on anything other than an actual Chrome OS device. Um, which leads me to remind you now, I'm not going to talk much on this, but October 4th, just a couple days away, we're, cause this is recording on October 1st, 2016, you're, we're there. Google's going to have an event. They're going to have a big event. They're probably going to reveal a bunch of hardware, you know, pixel devices, all this stuff. Okay. Now there's some, there's rumors out there that, well, there are more than rumors about an Andromeda OS, which could be this hybrid, this Google OS that, that people have been talking about, myself included, uh, for over a year now, wh where it's Android and Chrome kind of combined into one, you know, Android and Chrome OS combined into one. Um, I'm not going to go into depth on that because, you know, it's only a couple of days away. We'll just fucking wait. Okay. To, to find out what's happening there. Uh, but that, you know, what, what does that say more about, you know, the Chromium project, uh, itself and maybe what's happening with why are apps getting taken away from Chrome, uh, on all the other operating systems. And that's because they're, you know, maybe Google is making a big play to, you know, to make this, this Andromeda OS, which isn't Fuchsia. I don't think they're the same. Fuchsia OS is one we talked about on Sovereign Tech where it's that real-time operating system. I don't think that this is the same thing. Um, but, you know, a big play for Andromeda, you know, kind of to become really the new Windows where it's great on desktop, blah, 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 you know, all, all of this. Uh, so but we can just wait a few days uh, for that to happen. 
Uh, you know, another thing here, here's another little bit, and I still have a main story to get into and we will get into it. Uh, but I thought that this was fascinating, but there was a report that, and Facebook admitted it and they said, Oh, sorry that they, that Facebook themselves, you know, we we're just talking about ads that Facebook themselves lied about the penetration and the engagement numbers of Facebook videos. They lied to the tune of 60 to 80% variances in what they said, you know, like how many millions? Oh no, it actually wasn't a million people that watched that, that video or whatever. They just straight up lied and they said, Oh yeah, we're, we're so sorry. We, you know, it was a screw up in our algorithm, right? Like everything is I algorithms are, I mean, it's the new scapegoat. It's like, Oh yeah, it was just our algorithms. When the fuck are these companies going to take some personal responsibility? Did they hash out refunds to anybody that, that bought ads? No, they should have. Or give give them Facebook credit or something. I, I mean, th- th- this is bad, you know, and that's, you know, we were talking about ads there just earlier. I mean, it really speaks to the fact because I have to deal with this or, you know, I've had to deal with this as an advertising executive at various points in my life to where, you know, I keep hearing, oh, no, we don't want to do radio or television ads. And because, you know, on the Internet, things are more targeted. Our money's better spent, blah, 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 blah. Apparently not. Those numbers, the numbers you're dealing with are, are a joke and a lie. We've talked about that. You know, there's been a lot of research on this already. And we've talked about that on Sovereign Tech. It was during a hack sec, if I remember correctly. But this one is out in the open and the company admitted to it. I'll give them credit, I guess, for admitting to it. But still, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just not true. And, and I think this happens for so much. Well, it happens for a lot of business, not just Silicon Valley, where people are just faking it till they make it. You know, it's like, okay, all right, we got to we gotta make it look like there's another video service in town besides YouTube, which largely there isn't. I wish there was, okay, but there isn't. Uh, you know, we, we got we to gotta figure this out, okay? And so let's just tell them that we're, it's this much percentage, blah, 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 and then, then everybody will think that we're actually, you know, a YouTube competitor, blah, 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 when you're not. Go figure. Facebook lied again. How about another little, is this another part of your behavioral experiments, uh, Facebook that you also admitted to that you were doing for years? You didn't admit to it until years later though. Disgusting company. All right. So let, all right. One last bit of random access. This actually comes from a, a listener, um, asking me about it. Uh, in fact, uh, they'd said they heard about it on the lava flow podcast, and this has to do with the, uh, the messenger, the, the messaging app called wire. That's it. It's just called wire. Um, and they were asking, you know, what do you think of it? You know, is this DAPS? Of course, DAPS is my term for it. it's not D apps like for, you know, the crap that on Ethereum. Um, but DAPS is decentralized, uh, or, you know, decentralization, anonymity, privacy, and security. Like that, that's what I think great software looks to, looks to achieve or, you know, th- those, those four principles. Um, but anyway, so asking about wire, now, this is something, it's been around for a while. It was made by uh, some people from originally from Skype, some, you know, ex-Skypers, and it's been around for some time. And I didn't pay much attention to it just because as a messaging service, it wasn't open source. And, you know, again, <laughs> if you're not, if you don't want open source, you might as well just use Skype, right? So, but what I found out is that recently... The, you know, it back in just in July, 2016, wire did go all open source, uh, which great, you know, I, I think that that's a, that's a wonderful thing. 
And I mean, the nice thing about wire is that like every single aspect of it is genuinely encrypted. I mean, the voice calls, you know, they're using DTLS and SRTP, uh, video calls, they use RTP, uh, you know, regardless of how you feel about some of those protocols, I mean, it, they're doing it. They're saying, no, this stuff needs to be encrypted. Uh, they're instant messaging, uh, you know, service within it because this is full featured. This is actually a Skype alternative. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that it was made by, you know, ex Skype employees, um, but it uses, I think they call it Proteus and Proteus is sort of their own little version of the signal protocol. Like they based it off of the signal protocol. So, you know, that's kind of a nice, uh, a nice place uh, to start. And, you know, the client server communications, all TLS. Okay. So, I mean, they're making a lot of the right moves and I've looked at the app and it's, it's totally cross-platform. Like it's a fucking available on everything on the web, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, and the apps and the software all looks very nice. I mean, like it has a very good, you know, very modern, very customizable, uh, interface, certainly a lot prettier than telegram. Um, and it allows for tons of features. In fact, I, uh, it, it was announced. It's the first messaging app that actually does encrypted screen sharing. Now that's huge. Like, I don't think people think about that, but, but like, there's, there's really something to that. Now the concern is, okay, if it's all so encrypted, how exactly are you able to use it cross platform without having, you know, you know, without having to do a secret chat somewhere? Uh, for example, even the way that like uh, Facebook messenger, which last week we talked about how they started their encryption, they're using the signal protocol as well. The face, Facebook Messenger, when you are doing an encrypted conversation on a device, you can only have that encrypted conversation on that, you know, between two devices. You can't do it, uh, you know, elsewhere. All right. Um, and it, this is true for Telegram as well. Telegram, like, has that secret chat option, but the secret chat only works on the mobile version of the app. And, you know, you can't, it doesn't, Telegram doesn't store those secret chats anywhere else because they're end-to-end -end encrypted. They're client-side encrypted. Okay. So how exactly if, you know, wire is using a degree of client side encryption, how is this working? Well, I, as best as I can tell, they are doing it in the same way that signal, you know, open whisper systems that the original signal does it to where signal has the Chrome app. And what happens is, is that you share keys. Okay. You know, between, uh, the app on your, on your computer, you know, on your desktop, the Chrome app and with your, you know, the app on your phone. Um, now that is done with signal that's done via QR code. That's not how it's done with wire with wire. I, I, as I, as I understand it, like you're not, I don't think you can get your whole history on there. Um, but there is a degree of a handshake that, that happens to where, you know, keys are kind of are, are shared between the mobile app and the desktop. So that's not exactly perfect, but it's not bad. And it's a lot better than pretty much any other messaging service aside from, uh, you know, from signal itself. Uh, so yeah, there's a little bit of concern that, you know, somewhere, you know, in a centralized way, you know, the key keys, keys are getting exchanged and, you know, is there a problem where, you know, the pair could get taken, you know, by a malicious actor or something, or could get read by a malicious actor. Uh, yeah. But this is pretty well done how it is. I mean, as I always say, my, like my main points have not changed at all. If you want, you know, bet on your life, you know, this is really important. I don't want people knowing about this kind of encryption. You use signal. That's the end of the story. Okay. Like, like that's, that, that's just that or, or PGP, you can use PGP as well, but that's as far as that goes. All right. But outside of that, 
you know, you want to encrypt everything anyway, in whatever way you can at least make things expensive for all these bad actors out there. You know, wire is a, is a fine service. As far as I can tell, I, I still, you know, I still don't trust as much as I trust signal, but it looks fine and dandy. Okay. The only, the only, you know, concern, and I mean, there's ways, you know, use, uh, you know, uh, perfect forward secrecy and you can effectively make it so that anything read previously on the other device isn't going to show up there, even though after the fact, kind of like with, you know, uh, how you exchange keys, you know, with, with the signal app on desktop and the other, uh, you know, it can see everything after the fact, but before that, you know, it doesn't have any of it. So, so there, there's, you know, it's about as secure as you could do it and make it as easy as you can. I mean, that that's such a, such a key point is that real security is hard. There is no, there's no one click. You're not going to get one click access to genuine security. You're just not. Okay. Uh, or, you know, if you're going to get one click, it's only going to be one device just like with signal. Okay. <laughs> Most of the time, unless you're doing that QR code, you know, kind of key pairing, which is a, you know, a very nice setup to do. Um, but, well, anyway, even that be cautious. Uh, so yeah, so that, that, that's, that's my take on wire. I think it's fine. I don't give it the same marks as I would signal, but, uh, but I, I, I think it's a, it's a great option out there. I mean, and if you're looking for perhaps a telegram, uh, alternative or an alternative to Skype or an alternative to a whole bunch of things, I would be looking in wire, uh, wires direction. I'm going to be looking into using it a lot more. Uh, so I very, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful app. No, no doubt about that. Uh, but Anyway, there, there you have it. That's, that's my take, um, on wire. Now I'm going to get into a main story and then I'm going to, if I don't have the time to do this here, I'm going to, there's a second part and I might do the second part of this in, uh, uh during first choice. So, but why don't we go ahead? Let's, let's start reading, uh, uh this story here because it brings, it brings up a subject. It makes a reality, a subject that we've largely only theorized about on sovereign tech over the years. And I mean, I've been talking about this for a long time. Like I, I might've been episode 10 of sovereign tech four years ago. Okay. Where I first, you know, brought up this, this whole, uh, this whole subject. And the subject really has to do with pictures, pictures being taken. You know, I mean, with, we have cameras everywhere now, you know, in our hands and wherever else. And the concern is, is that, or something that I've brought up before, is taking pictures, say of your child. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I mean, you know, I, there's pictures of me when I was a child, you know, they all, but I mean, they weren't put up on the internet. They're just all in, you know, photo books and all this stuff, uh, or photo albums, which is, you know, very nice, you know, physical ones, not, not digital ones at all. Um, and, but now, you know, with all these digital pictures, I mean, like you are like with the case I've made is that a lot of parents are really, like giving Facebook, Google, the NSA, but I repeat myself, um, you know, a whole bunch of companies and governments, a lot of data on their child that they can, you know, use later to do who knows what. And also does, you know, taking a picture of your child and sharing it around, you know, to everybody, does that break? I mean, let's be clear on this. Children are just little humans. They're still humans. They still have all the, you know, liberties that, that, that humans are, are, are due because of their humanity. So if you're posting up a picture, you know, without the baby's consent, I mean, is there, is there an ethical issue there? That's the question I ask on sovereign tech all the time. So now what's interesting is, is this case here, I'm going to read this. Um, 
teen sues her parents for posting embarrassing childhood photos on Facebook. This speaks right to points that I made. Let's read it from September 16th, 2016. Uh, Picture it. You're scrolling through Facebook and see one of those awkward family photos parents love posting. Then you realize the naked butt on the outdated duvet is yours. Mom and dad have officially mortified you on the internet where nothing ever dies. One 18-year-old woman was so sick of her parents posting embarrassing childhood memories online that she sued them. Now, I don't suing and all that's, I mean, I, I think a lot of that's, you know, horseshit. I understand wanting restorative justice for things, but let's read on with the story. We've all been in a similar situation. If it wasn't our parents, our alleged best friend shared those horrific images from our spray tanning phase. So you're probably thinking, quote, so what? They're just pictures. Plus, her parents put up with a lot of crap raising her. So why can't they post some photos online? End quote. Well, that's what a judge will decide when the case goes to trial in November. We'll be keeping an eye on this. The family feud started back in 2009 when the mom and dad of an unnamed Austrian woman made the bold decision to share 500 images of their beloved daughter on Facebook without her consent. She claims that their actions have caused her massive misery. Quote, they knew no shame and no limit and didn't care whether it was a picture of me sitting on the toilet or lying naked in my cot. Every stage was photographed and then made public. End quote to the 18-year-old uh, shared with the, the local and Austrian uh, media outlet. While we're all for moms and dads snapping and sharing away, there has to be a limit. Personally, I never underst- uh, understood the, and this is coming from a blog called Scary Mommy, um, I never understood the fascination with taking naked baby pictures. Parents obviously love them, but is it really necessary to share those online? Can't you just keep them for when your son or daughter brings home their potential marriage partner? Embarrassing our kids is most definitely a parental right, but shaming them in a very public way that can't be easily undone crosses a line especially since our work life now involves a full social media background check before every job interview. I'm going to stop right there. Stallion breaking in. That's an interesting point to bring up is that again, social media and a lot of this stuff, your digital life is being used as a way of gauging you. Okay. Positively or negatively. But I mean, you know, positive and negative. I mean, a lot of people have different moral, you know, subsets, and so how they look at one way that you're raised could be a problem. Uh, you know, in fact, I remember <laughs> like, you know, who's really big on doing this sort of thing, the FBI. Okay. I've had some family members that were part of the FBI and like, I remember asking them, so, you know, wh- what does it take for you to get in there? And he's like, oh yeah, they dig through all your family photos. You know, they, they do all this stuff. They want to make sure, you know, you're on the up and up and if they see one thing strange, you're not getting in. Now I don't want anybody working for the FBI. Uh, the, I mean, to talk about unethical fucking government. But the point is kind of the same is that, you know, parents might not be fully conscious of what they're doing to their child's future. And thus, are they being good stewards? It's an interesting thing to bring up. And it's also, I'm going to read more of this, but it's also interesting to bring up that, you know, this was a problem before computers. Like, I mean, kids have always hated, please don't show my friends. Don't show my boyfriend or my girlfriend, you know, my pictures of me when I was a baby, please don't. I'm so embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. And then the parents will go ahead and do it anyway. So much for respecting autonomy and respecting, you know, personal liberties, right? I know you say it's such a simple thing. Well, for some people, it's not some people. I mean, in our very fucked up world, especially teenagers and whatever else, you know, get, I mean, they can get really harassed over this because, you know, it's an ugly world out there. I mean, how many people, just because of, say, their sexual preference or something like that, and that's what happens is, what if you share a picture, you know, of little Johnny wearing a dress? I don't, personally, myself, the Golden Stallion, I don't care if guys wear dresses. Go ahead. Rock and roll, man. 
But, you know, at school, and yes, school's the problem, I know, but, you know, parents as stewards, I think you should be conscious of this. You, you know, at school, if they see that somehow or someone talks about it, oh, man, I mean, the, just the, the, the taunting and the torture. And some kids go so far as to kill themselves over, you know, when it's that bad because they think their lives over because they don't know anymore. Then, you know, then, I mean, so many, I mean, how many adults still live like they're in fucking high school? Just look at Facebook. The whole goddamn thing's a popularity contest. It's horrendous. This is a genuine concern. I'll read on here. Their daughter, quote, their daughter apparently asked for the photos to be deleted from Facebook many times, but hasn't successfully convinced mom and dad, which prompted the lawsuit. Quote, I'm tired of not being taken seriously by my parents, end quote, she explained. Good luck with that one, uh, lady. I'm 32 and my mom still calls me every few days to make sure I've survived the grueling battles of adult life. They can't help but think of us as their little babies. Now, I'm going to stop there again. Oh, I got so much I could say about this. Okay, but. If you ask somebody, please don't take my picture, and they went ahead and did it anyway, what would you do? This isn't some, I don't agree with the concept of the spoiled brat, but this is, but don't give me that shit that this is some, some kid that's just, you know, going out, being outrageous or something like that. What kind of a parent are you? If a kid says, please, just, just, you know, please don't, don't share that. How hard is it to delete a fucking picture off of Facebook? These parents are assholes, in my opinion. If they're asked, I mean, it's a whole other subject on whether or not, you know, that it should have been shared in the first place. I'm not going down that road. I'm just saying, like, she's kind of right. Please take it down. Take it down. I don't want that up there. If I was a parent, I would respect my kid enough to say, sure, of course, I'll take that down. Wouldn't I do that for my girlfriend if she didn't like a pic? I mean, I ask, you know, I'll tell you, loving and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. You think I don't take a bunch of pictures of her? <laughs> she's gorgeous. And, you know, but before I share anything with her in it, I ask her. You know, how do you feel about this one? Do you want me to share this? And if she says no, I don't. Why wouldn't I treat any other human being that way? Especially after the fact that they asked me. Of course I would. Reading on. Either way, the case will be an interesting one to watch. The young girl's dad feels very strongly that he's got the right to publish the pics since he took them. But her her lawyer, Michael uh, Ramey, thinks he'll win the whole thing if it can't be proven that her rights to a personal life are violated. Well, this is the first case of its kind in Austria. It's a relatively common one abroad. Europeans don't take kindly to photos of themselves being published without their consent. France's, uh, France has taken the strongest stance with one year in prison and a fine up to $50,584 for people convicted of... Uh, distributing images of others without permission. It's hard to imagine a case like this happening in America. What celebrity doesn't share an overwhelming amount of baby pics on social media? Since we don't uh, know how harmful it is to post that many personal details of our kids online, it wouldn't hurt if we all took it down a notch. If the Austrian parents lose, not only will they have to remove all the photos, but they'll have to pay their daughter's legal fees and likely some additional compensation for her pain and suffering. Now, super clear. Again, I'm an anarchist. I don't want France you know, like fining people for this, you know, and all, and all this crap. I mean, I'm, I'm not interested in, you know, I'm interested in restorative justice. That's, that's really not what that's about. I mean, because that, that comes with the force of the gun. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not on board with that. And the conversation really, I, in my opinion, it's really not even about so much about the pics getting taken and getting posted. It's about the fact that children are absolutely not respected and children understand better than their parents what the digital life is about and what it does to them and what their future means on it. Okay. And so, you know, yeah, the, obviously the parents don't get it, but the kid does, but it's because the parents are kind of dumb. I think, you know, they don't grasp how, just how serious this could be. 
And I don't think anybody's really getting it. You know, this is a point, I think I might have mentioned it on Sex and Science Hour recently, where I said, I, you know, there's so many people that are just like, oh, I don't care about privacy. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm over it. All right. I, I, I you know, <laughs> uh, I, I withdrew my right to privacy or whatever. You know, I was like, here, here you go. You can Google, you can have my right to privacy. I don't give a shit. Okay. But I don't think we know enough yet. And it's going to be a hard lesson in my opinion in the future. Okay. We don't know enough yet about how, pri- how the lack of privacy uh, is going to work against us, what damage it can do, because it's an insidious thing. It's, you know, it's the tiniest uh, little disease that takes, you know, decades to catch up with you. That's my guess. Well, we're going to continue this conversation in the next segment, okay, because we're going to talk about the new company on the block that's not so new, Snap, that used to be called Snapchat. Woo, hey, all right. I want to tell you about a Sovereign Tech sponsor. I am so honored that they are a sponsor. And that sponsor is Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Baby, if you want <laughs> if you want money that doesn't track you, okay? <laughs> you know, if you want the real real value in your life, get your hands on some precious metals, okay? You know, diversify your wealth. Do all the cryptocurrencies, do all the ones you want. All right. But then at the same time, get your hands on some stuff that has been valuable for a good long while and that'll hold its value. I like to call it real cold storage. And that's precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, whatever you want. Roberts and Roberts, they've got it and they're going to get it to you fast. They'll even buy yours from you if you'd like. But if you're going to go buy some, Here's the best part, okay? Roberts and Roberts Brokerage accepts Bitcoin. In fact, they're Bitcoin preferred. They know Bitcoin's real money, and thus they're willing to give you real value in exchange with gold, silver, whatever else. You want to be doing business with this company. I say it all the time. They are one of the best businesses in the world today. They are on the cutting edge dealing with some of the, you know, the, it's not really technology, but some of the oldest things in the world. Okay. So Roberts and Roberts brokerage go to gold.zog.ninja. That's the website. Okay. And I cannot thank them enough for being a longtime sponsor of Sovereign Tech. It is a true honor. Gold.zog.ninja. Let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Pixel. Pixel, I'm being chased by assassin bots. I need an exit. Pixel! Brian Sovereign, come with me if you want to leave. Who are you? I'm Adelaide. I'll tell you more later. Get in the vehicle. Get in a car with a scantily clad and beautiful woman? Guess it's been my first choice before. Let's go. First choice. It is time for first choice. <laughs> Wrong microphone. <laughs> Woo. From the, uh, just a, oh man, I love the studio. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, time for first choice. Now we're going to just jump right off from what we were talking about in the last segment about the case of the teenage woman who is... Uh, who is suing her parents, you know, and, and please folks, if you want to write her off as just being some quote unquote, I'm speaking in conventional terms, not terms I agree with some kind of, uh, you know, spoiled brat girl that, uh, you know, just wants some money in her life and all this stuff, or maybe is mad at her parents for something. Okay. None of that. I mean, it matters, but none of that matters to what we're talking about here at all. 
Okay. That's inconsequential to the abstract ideas that we're talking about. Don't, don't psychologize the shit like that. Don't write it off like that because this is serious. Now, the interesting thing that happened this week in light of that story is that Snapchat has now, you know, the, what some call the number three, uh, or maybe even the number one, depending on who you're asking social media, uh, platform in the world. I mean, it's, it is the dark horse of social media. I will never have a Snapchat account. I don't have one. Uh, I don't use it. I've seen it in action. I've, I've seen enough. Okay. That's not for me. Uh, now there's an interesting, <laughs> what they announced this week when they turned, when they became snap, this, this is going to get very strange and this is worth covering because it has to do with, I mean, Snapchat is big amongst the, you know, the younger generation, right. Or, you know, the younger folk. And they came out with a product, okay, called Specs, which is effectively glasses, sunglasses that have cameras on them. Um, and I, I mean, instantly you're going to think of Google Glass. I understand. We're going to break down, you know, what all this says. But there's an irony here because, and, and I'll just say this right out of the gate before we get into the technical aspects of Specs. The irony here is that Snapchat is in theory to, to by a lot of people is popular amongst younger people because of the very thing that we were just talking about, that the pictures don't last forever. Okay. That the pictures will actually, you know, supposedly go away after 24 hours, right. Or however many seconds or something, you know, so Snapchat claims they don't hold it more than 24 hours. Yeah. Fucking right. You know, it's all getting stored in Utah. You know that, uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, that is the claim. So Snapchat is popular because of the privacy aspects, because of the control of data aspects. And because again, like I said, I think like that, like that, you know, that young woman that we were talking about earlier, she has, uh, you know, she understands what the future means for her digital life. I mean, this happened with a lot of people, you know, with Facebook accounts. Okay. Right. You know, when they first got a Facebook account, most people were in college because that's where originally where Facebook was or who Facebook was, was available to was to college students. All right. So they shared all their pictures between all their college friends who they figured would understand of them, you know, getting wasted on whatever party and they're hanging upside down, you know, playing beer pong or something. Right. But then what happens is you know, five, six, seven years later, they still have all that in their history and all oh, their new employer decided to take a look because now everybody uses Facebook. And so they could see that. And then, oh shit, you know, young people get it. They understand what their parents don't, that these things have real life ramifications. Okay. Because they exist in a world that is eroding away privacy as to where their parents likely grew up. And I'm not saying this is true for all parents. I know there's a lot of parents, a lot of people, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, whatever. Okay. That are very, very conscious of what's going on. And I, and I applaud you and I appreciate you. But the, you know, the young, those parents, most parents didn't grow up where like these privacy issues were even a thing. Not really, not to where like they were a big enough thing to where, you know, a company that you go to work for could look into your history the way they can now. So this is ironic because Snapchat is built around this idea of privacy. And yet what they're doing is they're releasing or snap. It's not Snapchat anymore. They're releasing, uh, you know, a, a camera that you're wearing pretty much, at, you, know, you know, could potentially wear at all times or, you know, at any time you could take a picture. Like, like it just, it's, it stands in such contrast. So let's read a little bit about, uh, about specs. These are the, the, 
you know, the, the new hotness coming from, uh, from snap. Uh, there are two new important things to know about Snapchat. First, I'm reading from wired here. It's just snap. Now that's easy enough. The second may be a little bit harder to process. The ephemeral chat mavens will sell video grabbing sunglasses called spectacles or specs, uh, starting this fall spectacles specs for short were first reported by the wall street journal, which detailed quirky features like shooting circular video rather than rectangles, but spent appreciably less time on spectacles, real predecessor, Google glass, a face pewter that promised the future, but turned out to be a colossal failure. That may well be the fate for specs as well. The name alone doesn't instill confidence, but whatever reservations you might rightly have about wearing camera glasses, don't mistake specs for glass 2.0. They've got a lot more going than that. Uh, so let's start with what specs do and how they do it. There are sunglasses available in three colors that come with a small camera built into the upper right, left and right sides of the frames. Tap a button near the left camera and specs records for 10 seconds. Additional tap apps get you 10 more seconds, uh, up to 30 seconds at, at a time to stop recording sooner, press and hold the same button. The snaps will uh, live on your specs until you transfer them to a smartphone. So, you know, there's a little bit of storage in these glasses and these, uh, to be clear, these glasses look, I mean, they're definitely going for a very like youthful vibe. Like they have kind of a thickness to them. Like these aren't, these aren't really stylish in the, uh, you know, broader sense at all. They're, they're definitely targeting these, you know, at youth. Okay. Uh, the snake, yeah, they'll, they'll live on your, uh, on the specs until you connect it to a smartphone over Wi-Fi for Android and Bluetooth for iOS, um, by default, the specs snaps bless their alliterative hearts. That's the name of the pictures or the videos will be saved in the memory section of your Snapchat app An inward facing light will let you know when your camera is activated, but more importantly, an outward facing light lets people around around you know that you're being filmed snap says specs should last about a day on one charge and come with a charging case that can uh that can you about a or that can give you about a week's worth of juice the whole setup costs 130 dollars in broad strokes this might sound a whole lot like glass specifically it sounds like the part of glass that gave rise to the wicked portmanteau of uh glass hole people filming you surreptitiously behind some weird techno utopian future goggles dig into the specifics though. And you can see specs already avoiding many of the pitfalls that shattered uh, glass. Now <laughs> that's a pretty good pun there. Um, now there's the link is in the show notes for episode 195 um, of this. You'll find it under first choice. And I do recommend uh, that you read more of it, but I think we can start breaking it down, you know, kind of right out of the gate. Like I said, the first real problem here is that, this is antithetical to what people liked about Snapchat. Um, I mean, and the lenses themselves are, are interesting. Like the technology that they're using for it, they're using kind of a, like, what do they call it? Like a fisheye lens. There's a, there's a technical term for that, uh, which is important to keep in mind. Why do people use fisheye lenses lenses? It's so that there's no like edge. Okay. It creates like a system to where, uh, you know, what you're watching seems to, seems to never end. Um, which is an interesting point to bring up because a lot of people, a lot of, uh, idiots, I'm sorry, flat earthers, uh, uh, <laughs> wait, idiots, uh, they're all the same. Um, a, a lot, a lot of these flat earth people are like, how come in space they're always, how come NASA is always using fisheye lenses, lenses and all this? Well, there's a few different reasons. One of them is, is to grab the entirety scope of space. It's not to make the earth look fucking round. Okay. I mean, there, there's, there's also the fact that, that, that type of lens actually, you know, the structure of it is a lot tougher, which makes sense if you're selling glasses to youth and you don't want the camera lens to break, you wouldn't use a flat fucking lens. 
on something like glasses that are going to, you know, be all over the place. So, so, you know, it's good for pressure and it creates a great illusion of not of roundness. It creates an illusion of endlessness. Okay. So anyway, anytime a, a flat earther brings up that bullshit about fisheye lenses, I mean, you, you can tell them to take a hike. The, the answer is, is just so basic <laughs> as, as to why they do that. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, so you got that aspect to it that I think that's an important thing uh, to bring up. And I agree that it's nice that there is a nice big light on it that will say when video is being taken or pictures getting taken or whatever. I think this is largely for video as, as I'm understanding it. Uh, and that's great because that was the problem with glass is that you really couldn't tell whether or not somebody was recording you. And so people were freaking the fuck out. It's like, Hey, do you mind not recording me? It's amazing. Nobody thinks those people are nuts, but Oh, if a little girl doesn't want her pictures being uh, left up on Facebook by her parents, Oh, she's just, she's just a little brat that wants some money. Right. Okay. Give me a fucking break. But you know, I mean, just overall to talk about the technology itself, I mean, I, you know, it's great that it can last a day. Wow. Woohoo. Okay. Let's get, let's get wearable stuff, you know, that, that can do that job, you know, in that small of a battery. Cause these, these glasses don't look overly large. You know, I'm impressed uh, by that aspect of it, but you know, I mean, if somebody's going to come out and say that like Google glass, this is trying to turn, you know, various youths into, uh, you know, like a surveillance, you know, a secret surveillance team for whatever alphabet soup organization, I would appreciate that, uh, you know, that concern. Okay. That that would happen. But I don't think personally, I think young people are, are just, I really feel like they're getting much smarter than that. Uh, you know, they're, they're seeing, they, they get much more direct response because they have to go to school every day or whatever else. And they're getting much more direct response upon what they do. Uh, and, and I think they're finding out the concerns or, or the reasons why perhaps they don't want to share everything to the world, even though a lot, I think the narrative in, you know, the wall street journal or some other, you know, papers or whatever, some other news sources would, you know, paint a very opposite picture. Um, I don't agree. So I, you know, I really, I don't think, I think the two things about this whole idea of specs. Okay. I think, is it privacy encroaching? Absolutely. Uh, you don't own the photons that hit your face, you know, make no mistake about that. We talk about that all the time. Okay. You know, it's not necessarily unethical for somebody to take a picture of you. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really like making that whole claim. All right. But this is concerning when you have governments, blah, blah, blah. All right. I mean, there, there are, you know, that's a huge argument that the, the ethics around that is a whole other thing that I've talked about before. I'm not going to get into that now. What I want to talk about is the specs themselves, because I don't think this is really a viable product. In fact, I think it's near a joke. I think it'll be a fad. It'll be something that, oh, everybody's going to want this Christmas and eventually they'll stop wearing them for a few reasons. Okay. But what I, what I really think that this is about is this is just something to please investors. This is just like, okay, yeah, we're Snapchat. We're doing something different because they've run out of things to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, what they've done is successful, no doubt. That's why they have so many copycats like Instagram, you know, going with the, was it the memories or stories, whatever, which is copying memories or something like that. Anyway, uh, you know, I think this is really, and this goes true for a lot of different tech companies. Okay. And a lot of companies in general, what they'll do is, is they'll come out with this thing that just sounds so wild, like so out of left field. Really what it's about is just pleasing the dumbass investors. And, you know, don't think just because they have the money to invest that somehow they're intelligent. Okay. <laughs> that, that's, that's just not the truth. That's a story for another time. All right. But 
bottom line is, is just like, why do why, you know, why does, why does Android, why does Google keep coming out with a new version of Android and all that? Have they really changed Android that much? Yeah, maybe superficially. Okay. But really there isn't, it hasn't been that much of a change like stage fright. They can't really do much about that. Right. Cause it's, you know, core to the system. So the core hasn't changed much, blah, blah, blah. They keep coming out with new numbers, you know, new versions of say an operating system to please investors. That's the idea. Okay. And so I think that really specs is just Snapchat saying we have room for growth when maybe they don't. Cause like I said, I'm never going to get one. You know, I appreciate kind of the, the, I appreciate the, the narrative around it, that this is more of a privacy oriented app, but we all know that there's no way. I mean, maybe we don't have the hard data. Okay. To prove that that's not true, but there's no way that, that something this popular is not getting taken advantage of, you know, by the NSA, CIA, GCHQ, and, you know, and all the rest of them. Okay. Uh, and you know, I think the other, here's the real reason why I don't think that these are going to take off or why they're just going to be a fad and fall away. And I think this is the reason, and I didn't realize it really until specs came out. I think this is the reason that Google did not just slap Google glass onto a pair of sunglasses. And that's because sunglasses dehumanize or they can dehumanize. I'm not saying there's something wrong with wearing sunglasses. I wear them all the time. Okay. But when you're in an intimate moment, which say pictures are supposed to take a picture of, right? When the person's wearing sunglasses, there's like, when you don't see the eyes, you know, the proverbial or not proverbial, but the, yeah, no proverbial, the proverbial window to the soul, you lose something in the moment. I, I think it's true. I mean, it can add something, but it can also oftentimes take away. And I think, you know, for all those amazing moments that people like to show off in sunglasses while they would be wearing these sunglasses, um, I think it's going to lose something. And I think unconsciously people are going to realize that. And these whole, this whole specs thing is going to fall away. Now, like I said, this is probably just an investment play. All right. You know, this is something to, to appease the investors, but that doesn't mean that it can't morph into something else. And this is where things get interesting. I think that in very short order, snap is going to turn this into an augmented, augmented reality platform. As in, they're going to show, we have this many users with Snap, blah, 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 you know, or with specs. Uh, you know, we've sold specs like this. It's, you know, this is the hot thing, blah, blah, blah. They're going to show those numbers and then they're going to pivot and say, this is all about creating augmented reality. This is all becoming an augmented reality company. Because like I said, Snapchat or Snap doesn't have anywhere else to go. They have nowhere to grow, okay? I mean, like there's only so much you can do with a photo taking platform, really. So the company's got to have that, again, it's that, it's the crazy thing that every Silicon Valley company wants and it drives me insane, but all they care about is growth. All right. Cause they're probably selling at $130. I got the feeling specs is being sold at a loss. Really? Um, but you know what I think they're They're going to create this new kind of platform to where, oh yeah, we are augmented reality. Maybe even Snapchat will turn into a gaming platform of some kind and Snapchat will become a part of ID. This is, this is where I think that's the real direction that they're going with this. The idea that it's designed to somehow capture moments better. And all, I mean, people use GoPros for that shit. You know, I think, it, yeah, it, it might be to, you know, maybe get young people used to having a camera attached to glasses or whatever, but this is not something that's going to be, you know, used widely. In fact, to some degree, I don't think that they're so good for the surveillance state. Not like Google Glass was, where you had a whole OS on there, you know, that, that could do all kinds of things. Uh, this is very, very basic. I don't think it's something that people are going to be wearing nonstop like they did with Google Glass and looked absolutely ridiculous. Um, you, you know, I think the real, the real idea here is to create, yeah, it's to jump into a new hardware platform. 
you know, kind of like what Amazon did with the Echo. So they're trying to leapfrog that, but it's not about taking the pictures. I think this is really about going into, you know, into AR because I think kids are too smart to want this in the long term for anything else. Kind of like what we, what we talked about, uh, you know, earlier, earlier on, but again, please don't misunderstand. I don't care if they do get into AR. Of course, my big thing, I think VR is going to be the big deal. And so this doesn't interest me at all, but I will never, ever let the golden stallion promise you right here. I will not have a Snapchat account. I'm not doing it. Not happening. Okay. (laughs) And that's the thing too. You know, I mean, that's more proof of the fact that they're just trying to expand. That's why they changed from snap and then the product Snapchat. Ooh, I'll be back. Hey, woo! If you want to, you know what? Let let's do this, okay? I want to thank another sponsor um, of Sovereign Tech that I'm so honored to have on board, uh, and that is CryptoCompare.com. You know, we were talking about some various blockchain technologies uh, earlier on in the show. This is the place to keep an eye on it. You know, uh, Monero's been a hot thing to talk about recently. Boy, the Monero bubble has popped. The price is diving. But if you want to keep track of that sort of thing, or if you want to know all the great software to use, all the great wallets, not just for Monero, for Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, you know, whatever, you want to go to CryptoCompare.com. Go check them out. And I cannot thank them enough for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. All right, let's get back to the show. Whoa, hey, you want to slow down? I don't do slow. I move fast. Okay, well, so you're French. Everyone in the future speaks French. Wait, wait, wait. The future? From 2099, Permanent Autonomous Zone, Osiris One. You've been there. Oh, this isn't happening. It only thinks it's happening. How do I know you're from Osiris One? LGP fingerprint Omega 74656666. Okay, you're, you're legit. Hey, really, be careful. You drive like you're playing a video game. That is how you programmed me. Game talk. It is time for Game Talk, where we get to talk some video games, baby, and we have some stories to tell. I actually, I I don't think I'm going to get into it. I wanted to talk about, I wanted to get into more about, you know, speaking of AR, but I wanted to talk more about the future of VR as it relates to what we talked about last week. Um, But I'm going to save that because there's some other other interesting issues uh, that I really want to want to bring up. Um, The first thing I want to mention to you, and I, I, it's, it's been great that I've been able to do this. Like it is a golden age for so many things. Okay. Uh, especially if you're a fan of anything out of the eighties or nineties, we are in an absolute golden age of content. Okay. But what has been really great recently is that on every game talk, I've been able to tell you about either, you know, like a fan, uh, remake or update or, uh, you know, of a game of a classic game like Metroid two, um, you know, or Pokemon uranium, both of which, you know, no longer really uh, exist, at least not to where you can't get them. You can get them on torrent sites though. Uh, or where, um, like a game that, that, you know, thought was lost forever or never even got finished. Suddenly we find out, holy shit, somebody has a copy and we got the ROM for it, you know, to where we can download it, pop it in an emulator and away we go. Kind of like with uh, Snow White's Happily Ever After, which is a kick-ass platformer. Go Snow White. Woo. <laughs> I mean it. Um, but it's been really great to be able to highlight these things. And this week is no exception. Uh, come to find out a game of Shadowhawk uh, f- that was originally for the Super Nintendo has been released and it's largely done. I mean, like, and I checked it out. Like it, it's very, very playable link in the show notes for episode 195 of that. Um, if you want to get your hands on it, if you don't know Shadowhawk, Shadowhawk is 
Well, it depends on how you want to chop him up. He, it's a Marvel comic book character. Okay. And some people say that he was kind of Marvel's Batman or sort of answer to Batman where he's this very much a dark knight character, but he can fly and do all this different stuff. He's recently came back in, in comic books and like now he's just nuts, uh, which I don't know why they did that, but he always had like this really badass nineties look. I mean, I think that Iron Man is really the answer to Batman for Marvel. Uh, you know, Iron Man's a total copycat, but, um, in, well, in many ways, but, um, yeah, I mean, the game is cool. Like, I mean, it's, it's really, really slick. So you get to play and the beauty of this again, is that this isn't just some fan remake. You get to play a game from the nineties made with that nineties aesthetic, you know, made with that, 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 the nineties ethos, I guess you could say. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just like you went back in time. Fucking awesome. So Shadowhawk, you want to check that out. Uh, another thing that could talk about going back in time. Another thing that came out and I could talk about this all show. Okay. I mentioned, uh, I've mentioned it on the Patreon episodes. I've mentioned it, uh, on regular episodes. Now, October is going to be an insanely exciting month for gaming. Okay. We've got the complete edition of Mortal Kombat X coming out. Okay. For PC, which we were told it wasn't going to, well, now it is good. Uh, <laughs> but you have the 20th anniversary of Duke Nukem 3d coming out, uh, where they've updated everything. They've actually made it 3d finally, blah, blah, blah. I mean, super exciting. I can't wait to get my hands on that. And then we have one of my favorite game characters of all time, Lo Wang from the nineties shadow warrior. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people think it's sort of a copycat of Duke Nukem. Uh, you know, just kind of has like a, perhaps a martial arts flair to it and all this, even if that's true, that's fine because it's great and I can't get enough. <laughs> so shadow warrior two is coming out because the shadow warrior that came out in 2013, which we talked about on this show was awesome. It was so good. Uh, so devolver said, okay, well we'll make another one. I mean, it, you know, it, it did gangbusters. So they have a second one coming out. And one of the cool things they did is they actually made an EP for it, like a little soundtrack EP and they got Stan Bush. Yes. I love Stan Bush. I've talked about him before. Uh, I, I actually, I was tempted to hire him about over a year ago to, um, to do a song for hypercronius, my, my, per, my, you know, my video game, uh, that I made under Zomi offline games. Okay. Which by the way, that company is now it, it, just the other day celebrated its two year anniversary for Zomi offline games. I couldn't be prouder, uh, you, you know, and more games are coming. Don't you worry. We already got two out. Uh, I'm going to make sure there's more. So anyway, uh, they got Stan Bush to do it and he did a new song called the warrior. It, it's a great, great song. Uh, and he even does, there's a, there's a version of the touch where Lo Wang is kind of commentating through it. It's hilarious. Uh, but it's a, it's a great little EP. I put a link in the show notes. You can listen to it for free on SoundCloud. Uh, and I mean, if you've never heard Stan Bush, you've got to start with his catalog backwards because he's only, he's been in, you know, he did the Transformers soundtrack and all that. People know him from that. Uh, but he still kept making music. You know, he's been making music for almost 40 years and it's all great. And even like his album, the ultimate that came out in 2014, fucking phenomenal. You want to check that out. Uh, so I, I put the link in the show notes for that. I'll admit the one thing that kind of pissed me off is I found out about it through Kotaku, you know, through like, you know, the Gawker properties. Thankfully, Gawker really doesn't exist anymore. But what ticked me off was that they're like, oh, this is amazing. This is like, a, it's just like hearing a song from the eighties and blah, 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 which is why I still listen to Stan Bush because he makes music just like it's still the 1980s. You know, that's why I, I still get his albums to this day as they come out. Um, but I'm like, wait a second. You, I could point out the articles where they insulted Stan Bush specifically because they were reviewing something about transformers, uh, and where they have regularly ripped on eighties cheese and music saying that it sucks or blah, blah, blah. 
but oh, now you get to come out and because, and really, you know, let's be clear here. The reason why they're even talking about Stan Bush, okay, is because probably Devolver or, you know, whatever company involved their beam dog, I don't know, whatever, uh, no, it wasn't beam dog, uh, but Devolver, you know, said to, uh, what was it warthog or wild hog, whatever, whatever the company's name is, they made hard reset to one of my favorite games that, you know, they said they, they pretty much paid, I'm sure, uh, you know, IO nine or Kotaku, you know, the Gawker properties effectively or Univision to, to, you know, to advertise. And this is native advertising. That's really all this is. Okay. I mean, the warrior song's great. I love Stan Bush. I don't think he's really, you know, any part of this, but Understand that that's exactly why they're even bothering to say something nice. It's because they got dollars in front of them. Otherwise, they're going to go on and just keep touting all the bullshit music that exists today, right? They're not going to say, oh, yeah, let's get back to the 80s, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, check it out. I, th I think it's uh, I think it's really cool. Now, the other bit of news to report as well, is, and I, I think I talked about this last week. If not, it was the week before. But um, Nesbox, NES Box which was, uh, it's a UWP app for windows. Okay. Uh, was going to, which means it's UWP. So it could work on mobile. It could potentially work on the Xbox one. It could work on anything that runs windows 10, which the Xbox one does. Um, it did get released for like a couple days, <laughs> uh, on, or, or no, I think it was Nestbox that didn't get released. I think that, or, so there's two of them. There's the one that can run NES and a whole bunch of, you know, those classic systems, you know, uh, Genesis and, you know, Sega Master System and all that. But then also there's Win64 E10, and this could play N64 games, and it's a UWP app. Everything's becoming a UWP app now because of uh, Microsoft's Project Centennial. Uh, in fact, I plan on releasing Hypercronius and Ninja Trek um, as UWP apps, uh, thanks to Project Centennial here in the near future. Um, but anyway, well, re-release. But, um, so Nestbox, like both, I forget exactly which one got taken away. I think it was win 64 that actually passed and got taken away. Nestbox was not allowed to go onto windows or was not allowed to go on the Xbox one, but now the Nintendo 64 emulator was allowed to go on there probably because the name didn't say what it was. So they, they didn't know. And it slipped past, you know, slipped through their fingers at Microsoft. But then once they realized what it was, oh shit. They took it right off of the Xbox one. Now this is a shame because the Xbox one had the potential to be the greatest gaming system of all time. That's what I said when I first talked about Nestbox on this show, because it could play anything, not just Xbox games. It could play it all, you know, and especially if we got to where, you know, project Scorpio comes out next year, which is the, you know, kind of the, the update to the Xbox, which I think is just going to be a computer. Like effectively, it's just going to be a gaming machine. Uh, you know, that runs like a more standardized version of windows 10 instead of the specialized one that's on the Xbox one right now. Um, and so that means you could use the PlayStation live service and play PlayStation three and potentially in the future, PlayStation four games on it. And then you could play all these emulated games. I mean, it would have been insane, but Microsoft obviously knows what's going on. They don't want to deal with, I mean, going after Nintendo, it's ironic. They're right down the street from each other because <laughs> Microsoft's, you know, they're, they're both pretty much in Redmond, Nintendo of America. I mean, yes, it's based in Japan, but you know, Nintendo of America is a huge base of operations for Nintendo. And then you have Microsoft right down the street. I mean, they're not far apart from each other at all. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I guess they just, you know, they want to keep things peaceful in Redmond. Who knows? I mean, maybe there'd be riot in the streets, Nintendo, da, 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 you know, or Microsoft, we're going to get you. I mean, you, I don't know. Redmond could have turned into a war zone. <laughs> uh, anyway uh that's not really the topic that i want to uh, that i wanted to bring up but i just wanted to mention that yeah i mean this is this is the danger of uwp 
where there's a security feature to UWP apps, but then the danger is, is what we're proving here is that when it's not just a separate XC that you can just download from a website, you know, an EXE for windows, when it's something that's totally under Microsoft's control in the Microsoft store, they can pull it at any time from your system. Well, that you can keep it there, but nobody else can get it. Like, as far as I know, the people that download the N64 emulator, it'll stay there, but they're never going to get updates. And I doubt it was in perfect shape. So yeah, that's the danger of, of all of these app stores. That's why I want to keep getting away from this shit. You know, like don't rely on the Google play store you know, don't use Android, you know, the app, the Apple app store. I mean, all this stuff, it's, it's such a system of control. I mean, you have no control over your software because of it. It's it, God, it sucks. Or <laughs> Satan, it sucks. Um, I mean, and you can do it right. Like, you know, when you don't, when you install Ubuntu onto a computer, Ubuntu has an app store. Okay. And it works very well and installs the latest versions, does auto updates and all that stuff. But if you want, you can just open up the terminal and you can download whatever software you want. It doesn't have to be in the app store. In fact, a lot of it isn't, or, you know, you could go and download opera or Chrome or whatever, you know, and, and they install independently with a package, you know, with a, with a, uh, you know, dot DEB package. I mean, so Linux, you can do it right. You can have the app store, but then you can also have the absolute option to just do it through the terminal and get it from wherever. So those are the kind of options that I want as a user. Okay. Cause that empowers the user. Uh, and so the UW, UWP apps, double-edged sword, you know, they're, they're secure, but they, because they're all sandbox, but then at the same time, they are under the ultimate control of Microsoft and Microsoft knows that that's why they're going in that model. In my opinion, it's not about the security. Um, so the last bit I want to talk about that, that actually ticks me off here is a game, um, from company Kabam and it's star Wars uprising, which it was this mobile RP, you know, kind of action RPG game. Um, it was highly touted, highly, uh, uh, advertised because the big deal about this game was that it took place right after return of the Jedi. And so, and it had canonical information in the star Wars universe. This is before the force awakens came out. So you were going to find out what exactly happened after the Death Star is destroyed. And I'm sure a lot of people were hoping that there would be information that would be key to, uh, you know, leading into episode seven, you know, leading into the force awakens and all this. So I was kind of, you know, I was like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. But then, it, you know, you find out it's a freemium model where, you know, you have to pay so much to get through everything. Uh, and so I was like, well, all right, forget it. I don't, I don't play those kinds of games generally. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to bother with it. But anyway, the company Kabam, they are shutting down star Wars uprising. Uh, and here's, here's the problem with this. Okay. I want to talk about this for a second. And this is why I hate these freemium games or these games that like have no end. Give me a complete package, especially when it relates to this, because if it's a tie in game, all right, like there, there are, and I've talked about how you can do this, right. Even if you did do it this way, like we talked about the matrix online to where it was a direct sequel, a canonical sequel written by the Wachowskis that gave you the rest of the story of what happens after matrix revolutions, which a lot of people didn't like revolution. So it was important, you know, to, to kind of carry on the story afterwards. And the story is great. Like the story in the matrix online is phenomenal. Now, why can I, or, you know, why can most people learn about the story of the matrix online? It's because you can download what's called a memory book, which is a PDF that explains the whole story. Even though this was a massive multiplayer game, uh, you know, star Wars uprising was kind of similar in design and setup. I mean, it wasn't that impressive of a game from what I've heard. Some people that I trust that play it, uh, that played it, they said it was just, it was too basic, you know, and you didn't get enough story to where it kept you hooked. You know, but there is, there is information here, you know, for, if you're a completist, you know, when it comes to a franchise that you want to know, 
But this kind of sucks because, I mean, you know, how much money did people put into this game? And now, I mean, you just, you can't play it anymore. It's gone. It's over. It's done. No matter how much money you put into it, no matter how much time you spent, you know, you built into it. It's where before, you know, or, you know, 20, 10 years ago, even 15, you know, 20 to be safe, I guess. You know, you could just, you could store it onto a memory card and you could, that memory card. I mean, the memory card used to be like the most valuable possession for any young person. <laughs> and, and even a lot of older people. I mean, it was because it held your life. It held hours and hours of what you accomplished and that's okay. There's nothing wrong. If you make a, you know, if, if, you know, video game playing is a big part of your life, obviously it's a part of mine, but you don't get that now. You, I mean, you can't go back to it. There's nothing you can do. It's over. It's done. It's gone. And then, I mean, to make it worse, this is such a big or you know, was supposedly going to be, I mean, the way it was marketed, what it ended up being in reality is a different story, but the way it was marketed, this is going to be a major chapter in the Star Wars universe, and now nobody can play it. What the fuck? Yes, a company can do this. There's nothing unethical about a company. They can go ahead and shut it down whenever they want, blah, blah, blah. They don't owe anybody anything, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, I'd kind of argue against that considering how much money people probably spent on it. Okay, but I get that. Okay, but if you want to do right by the fans, which is a huge issue in star Wars for a lot of people, you know, prequels for some, I like the prequels, but I know not everybody does. I, I, it's a, it's an asshole move in my opinion. I think this is, this is terrible. Like, I mean, what they could do if they release the game as kind of like a, you know, complete package. Okay, fine. Or if they released a memory book that explained everything that happened in the game. Okay, fine. But there's no sign of them doing that. And they're just ending this. I don't, I don't like how these games are being developed today. It's a money grab. Whoa. Hey, well, this is not a sponsor segment, but it is a segment that I'm going to keep track of. Uh, you know, speaking of money grab, let's see. Hey, uh, did arcade city's ride share ability come out yet? I think it was promised last week. Nope. Oh shit. There's still, it's a version 1.1 and, uh, and they're showing some new videos. They're not, you know, of course not releasing it to anybody and they're having these open dev meetings and all shit. No arcade city ride sharing capability yet, which it's a ride share app. What the hell? Maybe I'll never have to do one of these again, but once again, promises unfulfilled. Let's get back to cyber tech. Pixel says it should be this panel. We need to hack into the control center to shut down all of those assassin bots. Well, you're the Android. Can't you just jack in? Oui, uh, but the way I connect is more like a jack off. Was that a joke? Hacking is no joke. Hmm. Directly connecting certainly beats doing it with the keyboard. Hmm. You're notorious for your love of cyber sex. Okay, now that was a joke. Just get hacking. A quick hack solves everything. Hack sack. It is time for HackSec, where we talk issues of hacking and security. And I got to tell you, um, this is a story that, well, I, I think to some degree you want to pay attention to it, uh, to what it means, what its implications are, because this is, you know, I mean, a lot of times it becomes a subject of privacy. We've been talking about privacy this whole episode. Okay, I'm a serious privacy advocate. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm also, if you want to be what they, you know, if you want to, if you want your life to engage in what they call radical transparency to where you, you know, you, you toss off privacy. Hey, I'm an anarchist. You do what you want. 
Okay. Just don't harm anybody else. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Uh, but that's not what I want. I, you know, there are times where I know that I want some degree of privacy between me and others. All right. So anyway, this is, this is a, this is huge, really, what, what we're about to talk about. And it's coming from uh, Kurzweil's blog, uh, of course, Kurzweil, uh, IA, or AI.net. Kurzweil is, of course, Ray Kurzweil, you know, big proponent. Uh, of course, he works for Google now, what a shock, uh, or quote unquote works for Google slash Alphabet. Um, but, uh, you know, he's a big proponent of the singularity, you know, transhumanism, AI, all this different stuff. Uh, I mean, I've read his books, uh, I dare say, religiously, Soul of the New, or not Soul of the New Machine. <laughs> Uh, the singularity is near. I don't know how I got those confused, uh, but anyway, uh, that, that solo new machine is a totally different, totally different book. Um, but this story is how to detect emotions remotely with wireless signals. Holy shit. Uh, and this is from September 23rd, 2016. I'll read the story here. MIT researchers, uh, have developed EQ radio a device that can detect a person's emotions using wireless signals by measuring subtle changes in breathing and heart rhythms. EQ radio is 87% accurate at detecting if a person is excited, happy, angry, or sad, and can do so without on-body sensors, according to the researchers. MIT professor and project lead uh, Denai Katabi uh, of MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory uh, envisions the system being used in healthcare and testing viewers' reactions to ads or movies in real time. Because, oh yeah, if this, tel if this technology is actually the real deal, I'm sure that's all to get used for, uh, you know. It's not like governments would ever abuse technology. No, 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 no. Of course not. Uh, reading on. <laughs> Using wireless signals reflected off people's bodies, the device measures heartbeats as accurately as an ECG meter uh, with a margin of error of approximately 0.3%, according to the researchers. It then studies the waveforms within, uh, within each heartbeat to match a person's behavior to how they precisely acted uh, in one of the four emotion states. The team will present the work next month uh, at the Computing or Association of Computing Machineries International Conference, blah, 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 blah. Uh, EQ radio sends wireless signals that reflect off of a person's body and back to the device to detect emotions. It's beat extraction algorithms. Yay. Algorithms break the, <laughs> break the reflections into individual heartbeats and analyze the small variations in heartbeat intervals to determine their levels of arousal and positive effect. Uh, these measurements are what allow EQ radio to detect emotion. For example, a person who signals, uh, correlate to low arousal, arousal, and negative affect as affect, not effect, but affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, -E is more likely to, uh, to be tagged as sad, while someone whose signals correlate to high arousal and positive affect would likely be tagged as excited. The exact correlations vary from person to person, but are consistent enough that EQ radio could detect emotions with 70% accuracy, even when it hadn't previously measured a target person's heartbeat. In the future, it could be used for non-invasive health monitoring in diagnostic settings. So there's a little bit more about it uh, within the story, and there's a whole video that talks about it link in the show notes for episode 195 of sovereign tech um so i, I i'll be the first one to say this again this is all being done with an mit there has not been an independent scientific audit of any kind uh you know or a technology audit or anything like that uh i think this is bullshit um i think that i i mean i think they're trying 
I think so. You know, I think people at MIT are try, which is not far away. <laughs> I think they're trying to develop this sort of thing. I think there's a lot of people very interested in it, including people at DARPA who have a very close relationship with MIT. I think governments would love this sort of thing. I think advertisers would love this sort of thing. I think corporatism, that unholy alliance between business and governments, which is exactly what we live in today. I mean, if, believe me, if you don't think Google is an arm of the state, I mean, just look at all the YouTube videos, uh, you know, by made by YouTube to, uh, you know, promoting voting or Facebook saying, oh, have you voted yet? Register to be a voter. Just use Facebook. I mean, that that makes you an arm of the state, folks. That alone, I could go on. I mean, th- those are just the easy examples. This is corporatism, okay? I'm sure advertisers, mo- the movie industry, all these different people would love this shit. How can we get people hooked a little harder? How can we, you know, what what scenes work best? And then let's try and make movies that, you know, that bring in the most people instead of, uh, you know, creating the unorthodox ones that actually stand the test of time and eventually are widely appreciated, you know, because of its unorthodoxy, not because it follows some formula that people think that, that art is supposed to follow, right? Uh, but <laughs> whatever, I'm getting too much into the weeds with that. I don't think that this is real. I, or I mean, like I said, I think that people are developing, but I don't think this is ever going to work. I think the human condition is far too dynamic for this to in any way accurately portray something that, you know, and again, I guess this is where it matters, where it could portray something that could use, that could be used against somebody in court. Okay. I mean, you know, yeah, people are going to try, they're going to work on this. They're going to try and develop the shit, but let's be clear here. The numbers that they talked about 87% or, you know, when it's more in the wild, 70% accuracy. Some people think that anything above 50 is good. Uh, I am not one of those people because I know the wide variance, even in, you know, a point zero 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 one percent that can occur. Like you can't base anything off. If you're not at a hundred percent, you know, I mean, you, you can't take it that seriously. You can maybe gauge it, use it as a little bit of a metric. And I could see, you know, technology that takes advantage of EQ radio uh, to be used as like one more thing, perhaps, uh, you know, to track people, you know, and, and to do whatever the, these companies that are just so crazy. They just want to know every little fucking thing about you. It's, 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 it's so, so insane. Nobody would build a bit. Well, I never mind. I won't say that. <laughs> uh but, you know, I, I could see it being used as one more, you know, one more uh, uh, metric that people could grab. But this is not something I really, really don't think. Because, you know, what happened is, is there's guys like David Brin and some others who said, oh, see, privacy is dead. It's all over. We can read your emotions now. No, bullshit. Bullshit. A, this is probably so easy to, to trick and to mask. I mean, yeah, the, the heartbeat, right? Oh, it's based off of the heartbeat, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you, you really can't trick that. Well, I'm pretty sure there's a way, you, you know, that you could trick, uh, uh, you know, what it's effectively using to read the heartbeat. Um, but, you know, within that, say, say the high end, 87% accuracy, that 13%, so much can go wrong within that 13%. So much can be so off base within that 13%. Um, I don't agree at all. I mean, I used to, you know, if you listen to early episodes of Sovereign Tech, and I mean like the original, like like maybe the first 20 or something like that, I used to be one of those guys that told you privacy was dead. You know, and part of it was because, I mean, at the time, you know, I, 
I mean, I wasn't a different person, but in some ways, you know, I was just like, well, whatever it's, it's up there, you know, at least the, the companies are kind of holding onto it and the government's not working with them. But then, you know, Snowden revelations happen and you find out it's all a very different story. Uh, so I don't think, you know, I don't think privacy is dead. I don't think this works. I think it's bullshit. I think people are using it to forward their own narratives to stop caring about privacy. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if when this finally gets shown off, when this finally gets some kind of independent audit that you find out, wait a minute, this is crap, you know, but, you know, telling people about it, bringing it out there and all this stuff, you know, makes people maybe feel hopeless or something. And so they just run off and it's like, oh, please protect us from this technology that can, that can, you know, read our emotions and blah, 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 blah. So I, I don't buy it. I don't, I don't think this is, this is the real deal at all. The reviews are in, and Babylon 5's a winner. The New York Daily News says Babylon 5 could make Star Wars look like a walk in the park. The Chicago Sun-Times calls it a welcome addition to the sci-fi universe. Impressive, perfectly scaled for TV, raves the LA Times. And the Kansas City Star says Babylon 5 is one space station you're likely to want to visit frequently. See for yourself what everyone's talking about on Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history, Babylon 5. Adelaide, why are we stopping? In the future, uh, we have a custom. Uh, what's the custom? After a successful mission, a team usually is love, a menage a trois, or orgy. Yeah, there's there's only two of us. I already contacted the others to come join us. I love women, too. Whoa, Hadley, you're beautiful, but you're an android. I am fully functional. I am programmed in multiple techniques. A broad variety of... Mm. Mm. Wow, Mm. I I guess so. Mm. You did say you move fast. Adelaide, the future is going to be so good. The future is going to be so good. Don't, you know, I mean, it's just like, like these, uh, like retina scanners and all that stuff. Every time these kind of like biometric technologies come out, they always get shown so quickly how insecure they are, how, how flawed they are, you know, how their failure rate is significantly higher than any of the hype that when it was getting developed, I mean, because you know, when you, like when you consider, uh, you know, retina scanners or, you know, all these different things, when they get touted out to companies, that are going to integrate them. I mean, do you think that they're showing paperwork say to malls or, or you know, or security firms or whatever that say, Oh yeah, we, we have, you know, we have accuracy of like 36% or something like that. No, because then nobody would buy it. They bullshit. They massage the numbers. Okay. To where it, it says, Oh yeah, no, we, we have, you know, anything above 70 is great. And, and that's what they show them. So that's, it's just, it's crap. Like, I think people, people were reading about that and they're like, oh my God, it's all over. Ah, you know, stop. That technology is just not going to fly. Okay. That's, that's my, my take, my opinion on it. We get, we got to have a real reality check on a lot of these fucking technologies, quantum computing, all of them. A lot of them may never even come, come into existence. AI, 
that's a subject that we may need to, to retouch on here in the very near future. Um, well, for example, I mean, with AI, like I remember, I think I mentioned this on the crypto show when I was on this week, um, that, you know, Marvin Minsky, who's, I mean, just a brilliant guy. Okay. You know, I mean, one of the most brilliant, I mean, computer scientists, the whole thing, you know, for decades, he just died recently. He's very sad. Uh, I mean, I, I followed his work, you know, my whole life. Um, and you know, he was saying back in the sixties, oh yeah, we're going to, in like five years, we're going to have, uh, you know, computers that think just like humans in five years. He said, Kurzweil's the same way. I, I think the, the metrics that Kurzweil gets stuff right. A lot of the times, I think all that's massage too. I, I, because I can remember in his, in Kurzweil's books, he's another guy that I followed quite a bit where he is like way off in his, in his projections. Uh, like, uh, the book I mentioned, the singularity is near that came out in 2005, I think, you know, and he was, pro- he was projecting stuff would be ready in 10 years or, or even five years, none of which came into, into being or came into reality. Like, uh, uh, like the dust sensors, all this different stuff. Like, you know, oh yeah, it's going to be out there. All the, I mean, just a bunch of different shit these guys have high hopes they're selling, you know, I, I, I've used this phrase uh, quite a bit recently, but they're selling electroplated dreams. Okay. To people, to investors that have more money than cents. That's <laughs> just, that's the reality of it. In my opinion. Anyway, let's talk about something fun. The climax course is where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. It could be a TV show, movie, book, topic, whatever, you know, a comic book. I mean, a game, hell, it could be anything. Uh, but I think we talked enough about games um, this week. So what I want to talk about here is something that a lot of people have asked me to talk about. <laughs> They've been dying for my review. Please don't die. Uh, Stranger Things, the Netflix sensation this year. And we were already getting a season two. This is season one. It was uh, uh, an eight hour opus um, or well, about eight hours. You know, there's eight episodes anyway. And the lovely hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, we, uh, we both watched this. Uh, and, you know, at, at first blush, you know, just for what it is, uh, we thought it was great. I mean, I, I, Stephanie, you, you enjoyed the show. Yeah. Thumbs up. You know, uh, so, well, uh, okay. She's coming over to the microphone. Oh, oh God. I loved it. <laughs> you love, I love you. Uh, so, yeah. I love Brian Stoffer. Yeah, well, hey. <laughs> Stranger Things has got nothing on this. Has nothing on you, that's for sure, love. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So, of course, you just got to hear from the producer, the lovely, hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Um, but, yeah, it was a great show, you know, and, and I agree. Like, what everybody's kind of talking about with it is how it just feels like the 80s, and it does. It takes place uh, in 1983, I think in November, um, in a little town called Hawkins. You never really find out where exactly uh, that is. It was in Indiana. Okay, it was in Indiana. There we go. Um, so a little town called Hawkins. And, uh, you know, yeah, I agree. Like, the music is very 80s. Every, I mean, they even played, oh, so, I mean, they played a song from Toto. They played Africa. I, I, I'm such a huge Toto fan. Uh, if you never, if you didn't hear their album 14 that came out last year, get your hands on that. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, lots of, I mean, they got everything right. Like everything felt, you know, really felt eighties. And even the filming looked like the eighties. I mean, all of it. And so kudos to the Duffer brothers. They're, they're the ones that made this. Um, I don't know if they're going to be just become the Duffers kind of like the Wachowskis became or the Wachowski brothers became the Wachowskis, but whatever, we'll see. Anyway, uh, you know, obviously a great creative team. Uh, they put together something very interesting here. Uh, and 
so you, you know the story i i'm spoiler alert folks i'm going to tell you if you have i mean apparently everybody else has already seen it because everybody's just going gaga over it uh no pun intended there but the story that's going on, I mean, I think a lot of people wanted me to talk about it because it gets into an MK Ultra angle. Now, I want to, you know, for a lot of new listeners that I have, I want to be super clear here, okay? Um, I am a dilettante in the areas of conspiracy theories. I do not subscribe to all of them, if not most of them. I do not, okay? I know about them, and I think there's a lot of people including people in, shall we say, higher on the, on the, the, the unfortunate, uh, you know, hierarchy that we live in, um, that believe in this shit and that are, you know, that are, that are on board with some of this stuff. Okay. But I, myself, you know, don't, don't really subscribe to a lot of it, but I can tell you about it and I can kind of put myself in the position of perhaps somebody who does think that way. And so that's how I describe these things. But I wanted you to hear that just in case it's like, he's talking about MK ultra. He's fucking insane. You know, and no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but you know, the storyline is that, uh, you know, it's these kids, uh, you know, it looks very much like ET, but you, you have these, you know, three, four kids that, uh, one of them disappears, you know, and these kids are really into playing Dungeons and Dragons and all of this. Uh, really, you know, to do a full review of this, maybe I'll do it on a Patreon episode. I mean, it would take it would take a good hour, you know, to really like break down every every aspect of it. But I'm going to assume that you watched it. And so you get the idea that way I don't have to spend so much time covering, you know, the the plot. OK, uh, but that is the plot is that, you know, suddenly, you know, people start disappearing and then people are getting pictures of some kind of monster. And then there's like this, uh, you know, there's this energy plant in the town of Hawkins that uh, that is apparently doing very nefarious things, blah, 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 blah. And uh, and, you know, then there's a sheriff that's trying to figure out the truth and all this. And there's a mother who's trying to find her son that, that you know, that everybody thinks is dead and got taken away and and all of this. Um, so I'm going to assume that you've watched it, that that's the basic gist. Uh, and so now I will kind of break down into it. I'm going to tell you, I don't think that this show as good as it was, um, there are parts of the show that if I, if it was being made with the mindset that I think it was being made, it's pretty sadistic. Uh, you know, it, it, and I, I mean, I, I didn't mention again, I'm assuming you've seen it. I didn't mention the character of 11, who is this character that has all these like, you know, telepathic and telekinetic powers that is supposedly a byproduct of the MK ultra program and all this. And that's what it's all about is the government's trying to get their hands on this, uh, on this young girl. Uh, you know, they call her L in it, but 11 is kind of the full name. Cause that's the number that's on her arm guessing she's, I don't know. She's number 11 of who knows how many other experiments, uh, you know, that they did. And they were using her to be able to like, here across this kind of this other, this alternative dimension or, you know, this alternate dimension, uh, that she could, she could like sneak in and hear what the Russians were saying, like that this was really all just like a giant surveillance program. That's what these mental powers were all about, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, maybe it was about something more. Um, but I'll tell you, I think that in reality, this show was not about 11. The show was really about Nancy. And it's kind of twisted and you don't notice it unless you actually know a lot about what is theorized MK ultra was about. Okay. Which gets into the, uh, you know, like the idea of, uh, um, programming, you know, what, what they call trauma-based mind control, you know, programming agents that 
through those methods, you know, where they do really like twisted things, uh, to people to where they create multiple personalities within a person. And then that person can be activated whenever the government needs them and all this. If you've ever seen the movie American ultra, that is MK ultra. And that movie's twice as sick because that was saying that MK ultra was a good thing. Like that's how that was playing it up. Like that. This is cool. You know, like, like fucking with people's heads is a cool thing. Uh, obviously it isn't okay. But that's an example. If you want to see sort of what MK ultra was kind of all about, you know, check out that film. Um, the film's not that good otherwise, but you know, it's out there. Uh, so, and I mean, it was a popular one, you know, it had the, uh, the woman from twilight, I think was in it. Right. Maybe it was, yeah, I think it was the woman from twilight that was in it. Uh, and the guy that played, uh, Lex Luthor in Batman versus Superman was in it as well. So, you know, it was a high profile film. It's not some, you know, independent thing. But anyway, I really think that the whole story was actually about Nancy because a lot of the MK ultra symbolism that you get, you know, uh, like, you know, turning the, uh, like there's, oh man, see, you're going to have to go to, and I'll put a link in the show notes. You're going to have to listen to the series I did with Brett Vinat, uh, and Stephanie Murphy, of course, uh, on, uh, called conspiracy conspirathon that we did on the school sucks project to break into all of this. But it's really a lot about her because you're getting all the, all the different aspects. Like one of the things with MK ultra agents is that, uh, like they have different personalities. Like there's the alpha personality, which is the programming. Then there's the beta, uh, personality, which is like the, the sex, the sex kitten programming, you know, the really sexy programming and all this. And then there's, um, under that is Delta, which I think is the assassin. And then you have gamma, which is like the, the psychic powers, which are represented by, uh, by 11 in this show. Okay. But the thing is, is that the other S and there's another one, there's theta, which is like a self-destruct program, uh, to where they, they, they kill themselves, which arguably 11 might've done, even though, well, let's wait for season two. Um, but the other aspects of it, of what happens to, you know, how you create an MK ultra agent is displayed in Nancy's story to where she gets kind of handled and seduced into, you know, a sexual role with, um, you know, with her, her boyfriend there was, uh, Steve. Yeah, Steve. Thank you. And, and you really get that with her. And then, and you also see the assassin programming, like I mentioned, the gamma programming, you see that, or the Delta, that's the Delta programming. You see the Delta programming come up because when, um, uh, when Will's brother, older brother in the story, was it Josh? I think it was Joshua. The older, the older, Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan. Okay. So when Jonathan is like, he's, you know, they're going to go after the Demogorgon. Okay. They're going to go after this, you know, this, this, this faceless character and all of this, uh, you know, he gets, he, he takes his, his, uh, his dad's gun and he goes out and he, you know, starts shooting stuff. He's a terrible shot, even though he's hunted before, but you give the gun to Nancy right away and she can instantly pop off the cans with the gun, like as if she was programmed to be a great shot. And there's other things like there's the butterfly symbol, which, you know, supposedly representative of Operation Monarch. And there's a point where, you know, when Steve is trying to get her to, to come to his house, no, after they it's after they didn't no, I thought it was before it's the morning after. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. So, so the morning after whatever, like there's this weird thing where 
they, she has her locker open and she feels very different, very out of place. Like she's not one of these other, you know, people in school after she has sex with Steve, but you know, and it's funny that Steve doesn't care about her at all. You know, once he gets what he wants, which is something else that happens to say, uh, you know, the beta sex kitten programming and all this, right. Um, what happens is, is they open up her locker at school and there's a bunch of butterfly stickers in there. Now, I mean, not that that's that crazy, but the weird thing is, is that Steve says, you know, like when Steve walks away, he points at him and like he points at one, almost like saying, remember, you know, remember who you are, what you are. So I think that there's a lot more to Nancy than they're, they're really letting on uh, within it. Maybe this is something we'll get into season two, or maybe it's the hidden meaning of the whole thing. You know, because Nancy suddenly because like there's a point where even her character kind of turns. And that's another aspect of kind of like these MK Ultra agents or alters, as they call them, like where she's dressing very prim and proper, always wearing bright colors, you know, through like the first a few episodes. And then suddenly she's wearing all black, you know, like all black or she's wearing all dark colors after the fact. And she becomes like this total badass out of nowhere. Uh, so I, th- I think you're going to find out with Nancy that there's really something else going on. And I think her dad is also kind of an odd character, uh, but that that's, that's another story. Um, so overall, I mean, I just want to say, I thought the show was, was really good. I think there's a lot of hidden shit in there that maybe is meant to be seen, or maybe it's not, or, you know, maybe it's only meant to be seen by those that know. Uh, again, I don't believe in, I'm not saying I believe in any of that shit, but I think there's people that do. Okay. And those people like to make their own art. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just putting that. I'm just, that's, that's how I'm going to say it. You know, if you want to go with the whole Umberto, uh, uh, was it Umberto echo? Um, I, I forget the name of his book now. That's terrible. Anyway, whatever. Okay. But that's there. So now I want to talk about something, uh, you know, more of an abstract concept that has nothing to do with kind of the, the esoteric, uh, you know, aspects of this. And that is that a lot of people are saying that we now live where, you know, I I was just saying earlier how we're in a golden age of content. That's true overall. But a lot of people are saying more specifically that we're in a golden age of television. I don't agree with this. And I want to I want to explain why, because the show, uh, you know, Stranger Things, as good as it was, would not have held up 20 years ago. Nobody would have cared. It would not be considered, uh, you know, the underground hit that is, it would not be considered as great as it is because it doesn't television is by nature, largely episodic. Now you can, you don't, you can do big story arcs in television like Babylon five did where it's a five year story arc, but you've got to give people a lot, you know, it, like the originally with television, you still have to give them, you know, the week by week play. It's not like, you know, binge watching shows is a new phenomenon, largely, you know, due to Netflix. Okay. You usually, you had to be a lot more episodic. And so we're not really in a golden age of television. The point I'm going to make to you is that we're in a golden age of really long movies, not just because of the quality that, you know, that game, like game of Thrones and all these different ones brought, you know, like the production quality. Okay. Which I think game of Thrones sucks ass, but I get it that it has high production values. Okay. It's not just the production values. It's the fact that, you know, a story, you know, TV writers, quote unquote, TV writers. Okay. Like the Duffer brothers in this case can take time to do a slow buildup to where there's a great payoff. Okay. As to where, you know, 20 years ago, you had to have action and you had to have, uh, you know, beginning, middle and, you know, climax for each episode. It had to be episodic, kind of like Star Trek, the next generation. Like you could, some shows started to carry over certain information from, you know, from previous episodes, but largely everything had to be a complete piece 
to where everybody would watch it. You know, two parters and three parters were exceptionally rare. They were big time events. Okay. As to where now, you know, I mean, that's just not the case anymore. Now, I mean, you don't even have to, this is the other thing too. You don't have to edit a show for commercial breaks, you know, like, or at least stranger things didn't have to, cause it's on Netflix. So you're really, that's, I don't think it really qualifies as television. It doesn't qualify as a miniseries either. This is effectively an eight hour movie. And I think when people talk about all these different shows that are on these premium services, okay. Uh, you, you know, again, you're not really dealing with, this is not a golden age of television. Television still largely sucks. Okay. But you're getting these really long films for whatever reason, people are willing to sit through them. I mean, I, I, you know, this is a funny thing that people don't realize up until like Braveheart. And even after that, you know, people thought it was nuts. If there was a three hour movie that that's considered insane. Now it's normal, you know, two, two and a half hour, three hour movie. Nobody cares, but it used to be that, Oh no, nobody will sit through anything more than an hour and 40. You know, nobody would do that, but that's not true anymore. So we're really in the golden age of the long movie. I think that's that's the reality of it. So I thought Stranger Things was great, but I think there's actually a hidden story in there, and it all has to do uh, with Nancy. And there's a lot of other aspects I could have brought up about it. Maybe I'll do a, 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 maybe a more in-depth review in an upcoming Patreon episode where I can really, really dig very deep. Uh, but overall fucking great show i mean lots of fun uh i i i really enjoyed it i mean anything that's 80s i'm there especially if they're playing toto Woo. anyway if you want to donate patreon.com slash sovereign tech get access to over 20 bonus episodes there crappy luke Kem. i'll see you on the other side sovereign tech go to sovereigntech.com. that's s-o-v-r-y-n tech.com and connect with us there find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.